you know, your own personal spiritual development is key. Hallelujah. And what that happens is that you save not only the sheep itself, but you yourself, you are saved in the process of, you know, shepherding God's flock. Yes, Acts 20, verse 28. Keep watch over what? Okay. Wait. The Holy Spirit is the one that placed the word, the sheep in the care of what? Of the shepherds. Are we together? So number one is not your sheep. Take note of that. The sheep does not belong to you. You are a steward. You are a servant. Right? Secondly, you are to take it onto yourself first. Are we together? Continue. The shepherds of the church of God, mm -hmm. which... Amen. So one of the responsibilities of the shepherd, right, is protecting the sheep from what? From wolves. And that wolves is a symbol of people from the other kingdom. Right? And how do they attack the sheep? They attack the sheep through doctrine, through teachings, right? So the shepherd himself has a responsibility of taking heed to himself. He has to know what the sound doctrine is. And then he has the capacity to now do what? To guide or to protect, to lead by example. His life is an example for what? For the sheep to see, to follow. Hallelujah. So that is what shepherding is all about. Setting example, taking heed to yourself, and setting example for others to follow. So in your team, if you discover that People are rebelling in your team. Maybe the method you're using is not, is not the right method because this is not a Babylonian system we are, we are to operate with. This is spiritual leadership. There's therefore a need for us to check this, the, 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 the manual we're using, the source of information that we're using to, to do the leadership that we're doing. Hallelujah. The primary duties of a shepherd is to lead. Number one, you lead. Okay, you feed and meet the needs of the sheep, not your own needs, right? Some people have turned the sheep into a business venture, all right? So what they do is that they take care of themselves from the sheep. But that is not the goal of spiritual leadership. You are to meet the needs of the sheep by providing for them what they need, right? Feed them, and what do we feed? We feed with what? The word, right? You lead. How do you lead? By setting example with your own life. They should be able to look at your life and see a pattern way that they should follow. In the family, your children should see your own life. In fact, your children don't even need to, to know who Jesus Christ is. If they look at your life, they should see Jesus in your life. Hallelujah. That is what we call influence. That's what we call influence. Leaving it out and then people will follow. Hallelujah. When we stop caring for people, we relinquish the right to lead. When we stop caring for people in our 
jurisdiction, we, we cease, we relinquish the right, the privilege of leading. To lead is a privilege. We cease to have the privilege to lead, to lead them. Our care for people is a basis for what? For ministering to them. So we talk about, firstly, servanthood and what? And shepherding. These are the two things that characterize Jesus' system of leadership. And once these two are not in you, not one and then the other is not known, these two factors must be combined to formulate the doctrines of our leadership. And this, let me tell you, is timeless and is eternal. It works in every way. Even in the corporate world, it will work. Hallelujah. So, Jesus is being our pattern of spiritual leadership. Jesus Christ has set an example by identifying and specifying his leadership role. He came to be a servant, we read earlier on, right? And what? And a shepherd. That is what he said. He is a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He's a servant. That is how he, he describes himself. And that is how God is expecting all of us, wherever we find ourselves leading, we should be able to do what? To emulate. The concept of servanthood has to do with the tax. Amen? The goal, the tax, what we ought to do, the action part of it, the tax that is committed to our care, the people. And then shepherding, on the other hand, has to do with the relationship in the process of achieving that tax. We build relationships and then we achieve the goal. What is the goal of, of, of spiritual leadership? Becoming like Christ, transforming lives. That is the goal. But when you focus only on the goal and then forget about the relationship that is needed to build to reach that goal, then the goal will not be achieved. Hallelujah. So media team is not all about media and doing media work. The relationship, the love of the people in the media team is very important. In the worship team, the love of the people in the worship team is very important. In the welfare, the love of people in the welfare team is more important than even the goal itself. Because if, care, if they are not cared for, if they are not provided for, if they are not protected, they cannot be able, they can't be converted, they can't be transformed, and they cannot become like Christ. Hallelujah. So, spiritual leadership involves both serving and caring, developing high concern and responsibility for both the tax and what, and the relationship. So there are some basic qualities of effective leadership. Now, I want us to see something here. The word we're talking about, basic here, means primary, right? Once these things are missing, then you cannot be an effective spiritual leader. The basic qualities of effective spiritual leadership. Now, some spiritual leaders are not effective in their leadership because they ignore most of these basic qualities. And once in you, you don't have these basic qualities, then you cannot be effective. You can be a leader, but you will never be effective in influencing people into becoming like Christ. Hallelujah. So our goal is to expose you to these basic principles that you go on building yourself in these areas and you see yourself influencing people to become like Jesus Christ. Number one, a spiritual leader must be spiritual. Simple, right? It's basic. If you are not spiritual, you are not qualified to be a spiritual leader. And when we talk about being spiritual, I'm not talking about some mysterious, you know, kind of, no, no, that's not what we're talking about. Being spiritual means to be born again. A leader, a spiritual leader must be, first of all, what? Born again and committed to growing in Christ. That is the number one foundational thing that is basic. If you are not born again, you are not qualified to be a spiritual leader. 
Unfortunately, we have many leaders serving in capacities. That is why they are not making influence. That's why they are not making impact, because they themselves, they are not born again. If you are not born again, can you lead people to be born again? Hallelujah. So there's necessity for you to ensure that, number one, do you fulfill this, number one, do you have this, have you fulfilled this criteria of, of spiritual leadership? Maintaining a personal relationship with God through a deepening prayer life, consistent study and application of the Bible in daily life is very, very important for a spiritual leader. Not only that you are born again, but you are what? You are committed to growing in Christ. A leader that will be effective is a leader that is committed to his growth in Christ. Not just that you are born again alone, but what? But you are committed to your growth in Christ. Do you know that even in the family level, your, chil children, your children should even see that daddy is really growing in this area of his life. In your group, people should even see that, man, this our leader is growing. We can see evidently. Paul was telling Timothy that your growth should be, should be evident for all men to see. Hallelujah. So necessity is placed on us to do what? To commit to growing spiritually. If not, we will not be effective in our leadership. Secondly, the spiritual leader must have a solid understanding of the word of God and handle it with what? With integrity. Why is it so? Because the Bible is a spiritual leader's manual for leadership. So therefore, you must know, you must have a solid understanding of the scriptures. As a leader, but reading the Bible, meditating on the Bible, memorizing the Bible, obeying the Bible is not, it's not an option for you if you must be effective as a leader. If you must be a leader that is influential, a spiritual leader that is influential, the word of God is primary and is basic. You cannot avoid so how is your, your commitment to studying God's word? How is your commitment to reading, memorizing? As a leader, have you ever, written the, have you ever read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? Some of us who, in our lifetime, maybe we've never done it. But I can tell you that if you are here and you're a leader and you've not read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, let me announce to you that there's a problem. Are we together? Because you cannot fit the sheep. You cannot, you cannot lead them, you cannot protect them against false doctrine. A spiritual leader is a student of the scriptures. You can never graduate from what? From the scriptures. Hallelujah. So there must be a deliberate attitude, a deliberate act in what? In studying the word. Your studies of the scriptures must not be induced by force by leadership, people don't have to tell you to read your Bible before you read it. Because it is in reading of the Bible or giving yourself to the word that you yourself you are transformed. That the Bible is able to transform your life. The Bible is not just a book, but it's a life, it's a book that transforms lives. So your life must be transformed by the word. If not, you are disqualified in leading other people into the knowledge of the word. Hallelujah. So we must trust God to help us. 
having good understanding of the contents and the overall message of the scriptures. The Bible has only one message. There are no messages in the Bible. There's only one message. And that message is not ways to be is not ways to be prosper, to, to be prosperous. It's not uh, how you can make money. In fact, I told some people, I said the Bible is not a book for for of course. For what? Financial economics. <laughs> you know, it is not book you read for dating. It's not the purpose of the Bible is not for dating. Let me go and read for dating secrets in the Bible. <laughs> that is not the purpose of the Bible. Even though we have, we have truth and wisdom in it, right? But that is not the purpose of the Bible. The purpose of the Bible is what? It's Christ. It's to reveal Christ to us. Hallelujah. So if you come to scriptures and what you, your, your target is not to see Christ, you can see anything from the Bible if you want. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can see anything. In fact, you can even see how to. Do you know that even demonic people use the Bible? Right? Even the people in the world, they use the Bible. So the Bible can give you any meaning you want to get from it. But the purpose is what? It's Christ, to reveal Christ. Hallelujah. So a spiritual leader must be a person of good and reputable character. Having good character is not an option. Amen? Having a reputable character is not an option. And you know what? Character is like perfume. You cannot hide it. When you don't have good character, even you, you know you don't have good character. Unless you are lying to yourself. When you don't have good character, let me tell you, nobody will like to follow you if you don't have good character. Amen? And where do we get definition for good character? Is where? In the scriptures. And how do we develop good character? Is by exposing ourselves to scriptures and prayers, the spiritual disciplines that will help to shape us into the likeness of Christ. Hallelujah. You're, not, you're a leader and you're not respectful to authority. You want to be a leader, you want to go far, and then you're not submissive under authority. You are rude to even people you are leading. And you want to be a leader. Who will follow that kind of a leader? Hallelujah. There's a saying that you follow who no road, Abby. And when in you, they cannot see it, they cannot follow you. So it's not about rushing to display or to have, you know, podium to begin to, no, no. Some people want to have influence, some people want to, but have you developed a character that will sustain you at that level of leadership? Amen? Character. You know, let me tell you something. A politician can steal money, right? And the society will say it's, it's, it's normal. A politician can go and sleep with men, as a lady, or with women. They say, ah, politicians do that. But as a, as a pastor, go and do it. And the judgment, even the world, has expectation on you. Do you know that? Even the world, the ungodly people, they'll say, and he's even a pastor. The standard for you is higher when it comes to morality, when it comes to character. Hallelujah. 
So the standard for you is what? It's high. So the calling that God has called you into is a higher calling that demands what? High level of morality, high level of character development. Hallelujah. So we don't have option than to do or to trust God. Look into your life. Where is it that you have character deficiency? Be honest with yourself. Ask friends around you. Are you arrogant? Am I prideful? Am I, am I, am I full of myself? You know, and all these things, we know they are a manifestation of the flesh, right? And the only way we can navigate through building, you know, godly characters is through the word of God, through prayers, and then allowing God to walk through us. Hallelujah. And the leader must be known with a good reputation. People will easily follow when the leader has good character and can be trusted. You see, trust. Trust cannot be built in one day. Hallelujah. But it can be lost in one second. It can build trust for 30 years, and in five minutes, that reputation you built will collapse within a twinkle of an eye. So we need, we need to rely on God as leaders, as spiritual leaders. The leader must be Christ-like, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we are not saying that you are perfect. You understand? Having good character is not, is not, is not, is not equivalent to perfect, perfection. Right? A leader that has good character will accept it when he is wrong. When he did something that is wrong, he's able to say, see, I've fallen short in this area. I would rather trust, some, I can trust somebody that can admit that he's wrong, than someone that will not even admit that he's, he has the capacity to even fall. All right? So we are not saying that you should be perfect, but we are moving towards perfection in Christ. God is helping us and we are transformed daily as we commit ourselves to fellowship with him in his word. And then we grow into perfection. Hallelujah. A spiritual leader must be empowered. If you are not empowered, you cannot serve as a spiritual leader. And what do I mean by empowerment? The spiritual leader must work closely with the Holy Spirit and function in gifts. Amen? Function in what? In gifts. I wish we have time, but I've read these scriptures to see what these gifts are. Because these are tools in this kingdom. These are tools that God gives his children. This is what makes you different from what? From the people in the world. Spiritual giftings are what ungodly men do not have. The ability to discern spirits, the gift of healing, and many, many other things are tools. These are tools. They themselves, they are not the purpose. Hallelujah. Spiritual giftings are not the goal. Some of us are just asking God to give us power, to give us this, to give, but that is not the goal. The goal of having, these things are tools. If you are not faithful with little things, God cannot give you what? Greater things. And even the greater things themselves, they are not the major thing. The major thing is people, transforming people, making people grow, making people transform into the image of Christ. Hallelujah. Spiritual leaders must have a healthy and godly family relationships. If you are not, this, this passage is talking about elders, right? That they must have a good reputation in their own family. 
you know, husband of one wife, precisely, the wife of one husband. Children of two parents. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Whether one is married or not, the home is a proving ground. You see this proving ground? It's a place that you prove whether you're a good leader or not. The home is a proving ground for spiritual leadership. I can know that you're a good leader by the way you answer your mom on the phone. I can know that you are, that you are a good leader by the way you respect even the mommies in, in church. Some of you think maybe that they are your mates, the way you greet them as if you are in the same level. There's order in God's kingdom. Are we together? So there's a way you treat elderly people. Most of those at home. Even in their ignorance, right, our parents, we are the age where we know more than them because of our exposure in this jet, in this area. We access information that they never had. So we are at advantage position more than them. But then we must be able to love and honor them. I will know that you are a good leader by the way you relate with your siblings at home. Once a spiritual leader cannot manage a healthy relationship at the family level, it shows clearly such an individual cannot lead the people of God. You cannot lead the people of God. Unmarried leaders must love, respect, and honor their parents and other family members. Without this, it is impossible to love and lead the people of God. A spiritual leader must be a visionary person. You must be a visionary person. Someone should read that Proverbs 29, 18 for me. Proverbs 29, 18. Yes. Hallelujah. Where there's no vision, there's restraint, right? Where there's no clarity, and that clarity is the word of God we're talking about here, right? So, if your leader is not going anywhere, where are you following him to? And you know what? <laughs> Many people that are not going anywhere, they want you to go to any to 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 go to nowhere with them. We are going now to where? So you must be able to discern even the people you submit under, right? Do they have a sense of clarity of where they are taking you to? Or are you just following them blindly? Because a blind man leading another blind man is catastrophe, right? A leader without vision is not a leader. Imagine that as your pastor, I don't have a sense of vision for where God is taking us to as a church. I'm telling you, all your pastors will resign because they are very visionary people. Hallelujah. And the goal and the vision is that all of us in this place, we're going to talk about it more. You see where God is leading us. We have an understanding of the clarity. That is why we are unique. We're not like any other church because we have a sense of what direction that God is. I'm not saying the other churches are wrong. No, that's not what we're saying here. But the vision and the clarity God has given us is specific. Right? And we're doing it. And this, part, this meeting is part of it. Hallelujah. 
So a leader must have a sense of vision without which he is not qualified to be a leader. A spiritual leader must have a clear idea of what God wants to be done and his part in doing it. I know my part in doing what God wants me to do. I know what is not my part, right? If you do not know where you are going, you have forfeited the right to ask others to follow you. A leader should possess a clear mental picture of what God wants to be done, when and where God is leading, and who wants the leader to build. Me, I know that it's not everybody I'm called to, to, be able to, to, to influence, right? So everybody, because I cannot even influence everybody. So as a leader, you must know specifically, have a sense of direction and sense of vision of where God is leading you to. Hallelujah. Some other important virtues of successful leaders. Recognize the value in other people. When you don't see people with value, when you don't see people with dignity, when you don't see people as humans that God has created in his image and likeness, you cannot be a good leader. You can't lead them. They, they will not even follow you. Because remember, with a leadership is what? It's influence. And people have to surrender willingly. When people don't surrender willingly to be led by you, that is dictatorship. In another way, that is witchcraft. So as a father in the family, don't be a witch. <laughs> or a wizard. Right? Influence your children into following in the, in the family. Let them see you doing it. Let me tell you, they will do it even without you telling them. Serve them, and you see them cooperate. Lead them, shepherd them, and you see them, what? Cooperating. Continue to invest and develop other leaders. The proof, right, of successful leadership is successorship. The ability to create more leaders. When you leave this place, people should be able to trace and see that you've, you've, you are able to create other leaders. That is, that is fruitfulness in the, in the eyes of God. That is, that is what it means. That is what God has called us to do, to multiply our kind. Hallelujah. Remain accessible. Some leaders are, are living in their glory. They are unacceptable, accessible. Before you see them, you have to go through. Of course, we're not talking about administrative. In fact, even those pastors that we see that they are high, there's a way if you follow, there's a way you follow if they are accessible. Are we together? Because they've set down good structures that make them accessible to even their people. Right? So one of the things that makes you a good leader is remaining accessible, approachable. Some people, when they look at you, can they approach you? You must be approachable and accountable to others. Now, accountability is in different facets. Accountability to those who you are leading is very key. Accountability to people above you is very key. Accountability to people at your own level is very key. So accountability is a triangle. Hallelujah. If you are not accountable, you seize the right to lead others. You don't have the right for others to be accountable to you. You don't even have the right to tell people to do something and they should do. Because you yourself doesn't know what it means to be accountable. You must seek to learn and to grow continuously. Personal development is key to what 
leadership, particularly in spiritual leadership. You develop yourself in every facet. Don't be a leader that is, that is myopic in your thought, in your thinking. You know, be a leader that grows in every, that is a balanced leader, a leader that has grown in every aspect of his life. I seek to grow everywhere. There are many things I don't know. What I do is I seek knowledge in every aspect of my life, even the world, in life, dealing with people. I seek to grow and create more capacity in myself to be a good example to others. Serve others expecting nothing in return. The moment I know that you're coming to me, you are serving because you want me to pay that, you, you, you make it impossible for me to follow you willingly. You can't influence me. It becomes a transaction. Are we together? So servant leadership means that you serve others without what? Without expecting anything in return. Because you know what? It's not the people that will reward you. It's God, the one you're serving that will reward you. Hallelujah. A leader, a spiritual leader, is not threatened by the success of others. Amen? I can never be threatened by your success. My goal is for you to succeed even more than me. In fact, my joy is to see you higher than me. That is what spiritual leadership is all about. That is when you can serve the whole of your heart. That is why when you see somebody begin to grow, begin to be more anointed and more gifted, you become, you become threatened. No. That should be a joy in you. That should be a, a sense of you know, fulfillment in you that, yes, God is doing it in this person's life. And you are, you are honored to be part of what? Serving him to rise to that level of what? Of influence, of greatness, of impact. Hallelujah. So I'm not with doubt in my heart that many of you are going to, are going to go far. Amen? And it's an honor for us, the leaders, to be part of the story, to be part of what God is doing in your life, to be part of the agenda that God has in your life. Because you see, we are supposed and we ought to be at the bottom of the pyramid. And what we do is that we uplift you towards who? Towards God. When we lift you up, we are lifting you towards God. Hallelujah. So God is influencing you through us, raising you to himself through us. That is what leadership should be. Hallelujah. Conclusion. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Faithfulness in the little, right? You must do what? You must use them. If you don't use them, you have to give account for not using them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in, in generosity. The one who leads with what? With what? With zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And the grace and the peace of God will rest upon you in Jesus' name.
Let's close our eyes and pray and say, Father, help me. Thank you for showing me what spiritual leadership is. Thank you, Lord, for expounding this truth. May this be my testimony. May I be a leader that is like Christ. May I be a servant. May I be humble enough to learn to keep on growing. May I be accessible. May I be accountable. May I be faithful in the little that I have right now before me. Start and I'd just like us to just whisper a word of prayer. I'd like us to just open our mouths and just say, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the teaching. Thank you for the one that will listen. Faithfulness in a little. Spiritual leadership. We just thank you for the things you're adding to our lives. We just ask that you open our minds. Help us to not be distracted. Help us to have our eyes fixed on you. Help us to learn what it is you're teaching us in this time and this season. In the mighty name of Jesus, we prayed. Amen. So to help me, to help me because I easily get distracted if you are moving around and doing stuff. So to just to help me, I'd like us to just settle down. Let's just stay on our seats and help me to, to do this. So, so how many of us have been blessed from the start of the teaching, from the little that we've heard? How many of us have been blessed? So, so the blessings will even come much more as we progress. Amen. So this is day one, and we're going to be do, looking at the leader and his academics and career. The leader and his academics and career. The leader and his academics and career. And I would like to help our mind's eyes to picture what I'll be teaching. So time, time after time, I'll be doing a little bit of some illustrations to help us to, to understand what I'll be doing. Because I want us to have a long-lasting impression even after we're done with the teaching. So I'll be, doing, I'll be doing some things to help us to understand that. So I'll start off with this. The life of a leader is not to be lived in church differently from other places such as the school or the workplace with regards to academics and with regards to career. And reason being that, Second Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man be in Christ, right? He's a new creature, right? So just imagine that you are in Christ, right? You as a person, you're in Christ. Christ being the Bible, you are inside of it. Everywhere you go, do you go without him? Do you go without him? No. no, because if you are in him, it means that everywhere you go, be it your academics, be it your, your workplace, if you're working, you go with him. You go to your house, you, meet, you interface with your housemates, Christian, non-Christians, you go with still the same God, right? Yes. And you go with that mindset and that mentality. So notice that as a, as a, as a leader, that mindset is, should be what you have at the back of your mind. Understanding that it's not different. It's still the same you and the new you, right? Same new you and the new you, and you carry that into every sphere, be it your academics, be it your career, whatever it is you're doing. So let's not um, allow ourselves compartmentalize our living. Okay, you remove this from this folder, put it into that folder. When I'm in church, I do church. When I'm outside of church, I do it like they do it outside. Let's, let's not have that mindset and that mentality. 
it helps going forward that when you understand that, once you have that mindset, it changes the way you serve God and also do your academics and your career. It's very important that we do that. And I'll go further to explain it. In the introduction, to be an effective spiritual leader, notice that you're not just a spiritual leader. You want to be an effective one at that. Praise God. You don't just want to do, yeah, I'm a spiritual leader. Pastor Fred had walked us through who a spiritual leader is, what, a spiritual, what spiritual leadership is. You want to be an effective spiritual leader. And to do that, you must demonstrate, not just in, you must demonstrate this not just in your spiritual activity, in your practical day-to-day -day physical activities, we must see it as well. Praise God. Do you believe that people see? Yes. They see. And they can tell if you're effective or not effective. The world, by its standard, no, they know, they understand. You don't have to be here to understand what. You don't have to be in the Christendom to know. You know, in church, you can say, OK, this person is, in, is effective. This person is effective in welfare. This person is effective in ushering. This person is effective as a pastor. Know that even the world, too, there's, it's the same, the same thing. Notice that excellence, you, you, don't hide, you don't hide excellence. In fact, the world understands excellence. Praise God. The world understands excellence. In the kingdom, what is demanded of us is to excel. The Bible says he has called us out of darkness, sitting in marvelous light, that we, can show, we should show forth the excellences. Praise, praise God. So effective leadership is not just in spiritual. As I said, the spiritual you is still the physical you that interfaces with the day-to-day -day activities. Praise God. So for instance, we have an instance here, and I think Pastor Fred had read Matthew 25 for us. We have an instance here. Say, a leader cannot be lazy in school or in career, yet claims to love the Lord. Notice that that will be, you said, yeah, very strong contradiction. We'll see contradiction ahead. See, so the, the Lord's remark to the lazy leader is like, notice that that's, that servant was very interesting. Notice that you plant seeds, right? What you do is you plant seeds. You don't plant talent or plant money. You know, if you want to be rich and you decide to go planting money, You'll be looking at it, watering it, and hoping that it will germinate. It will never germinate. Praise God. So, and sometimes we just posture ourselves. You know, listen, you know, when you plant the seed, you don't do anything. <laughs> Most people don't do anything. You just wait for it to germinate. Wait for rain and wait for all of those things. Notice that with the things that God has given to us, we have to exercise it. Praise God. We have to exercise it. And and this man was addressed as he is. Meanwhile, he wrongly addressed his master, but the master, Christ, rightly addressed him as for what he is. He said, you are wicked and lazy. You are wicked and lazy. And we don't want to be lazy, because lazy people are ineffective, right? Lazy people are ineffective. Hardworking people produce results. Even, even, do, even, even if they, they're not, like, they don't have a direction, just being hardworking itself is dangerous, which is very dangerous as well. That's why you need to have purpose, right? You need to have purpose. Yeah, this is what we're doing. If you just do everything, you'll just be dispensing energy, and you can't hold on to a tangible result. Praise God. So, so laziness is, 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 is something that you shouldn't be as a leader. Praise God. Or lazy. So full-time ministry or serving God fully does not mean quitting your job or abandoning school. I think I used to tell students this. They say, oh, um, 
to, for you to be successful, you don't need to go to school. You need to just, like Mark Zuckerberg now, all these people, they, they did not go to school, but they are wealthy. They are well to do. I, <laughs> I say, I, I say, yeah, yeah, let's, let's hold that thought and also build it up more further. Let's look at the life of these people. Are they lazy? They left school for a reason. School was probably slowing them down from the purpose or the plans that they wanted to achieve, right? And they knew what they wanted, and they had, they had to be sure. They had to clear, clear. It was very clear, it was HD, not black and white, <laughs> or not nothing. It's nice they call it television for a reason. They had it clear, and then they ran with it, and we see the results. And notice that it didn't happen overnight. If you hear the stories of these people, you know that they really, they really went through hell to get to the heaven that they are in on earth. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> and to get to the heaven they are in on earth. Praise God. So it means that you, when you're quitting school, you have to have vision to do that. And it's advisable not to, because people quit school and they come back years later. They come back years later, and it's not the same. No time has passed. And it's not going to be easy for you to catch up with things that you need to catch up with. So abandoning school or abandoning your job really is not it. If you are trying to say, oh, I, for me to be effective, I need to quit school and then focus fully on this ministry that God has called me to. Yeah, you will later be the focus. <laughs> you will later be the focus. You will later be the focus. Praise God. So, so <laughs> you will later be the focus. Praise God. So what it actually simply means is literally surrendering and submitting to the Lord and doing the part that he has assigned to you. Praise God. And, and Jesus Christ was a practical example. And I'd like us to look at a couple of scriptures. Second Corinthians, I'll be reading so that it doesn't seem like 5.15. Second Corinthians 5.15. And we have Philippians as well. So Second Corinthians 5.15, it reads, it says, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Praise God. So we see an example here in Christ that he died for all. He didn't say, okay, no, Chidi, you are good. I died for you. You're bad. No, somebody else will die for you. He didn't, he didn't do it that way. He died for all. And he died for all. And he says there's the reason why he did that. He said that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Praise God. See that element of service where we are not living for ourselves. We are living for him that died for us. Praise God. And even in living for him that died for us, we also serve the people he died for as well. Praise God. So notice that the focus is, is the, the idea is surrendering. When a seed goes to the ground, it's soon, right? That seed has to die for us to have, for it to have life, fresh life, and have more other things to show for it to be fruitful. Praise God. So a lot of dying has to happen. And then Philippians, Philippians 1.20. Philippians 1.20 says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not, that I will not be at all ashamed, but 
that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether in life or by death. 21. For me, for to me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Praise God. For you to, for Apostle Paul biting this to the people in Philippi, for for you to come to a point where you're living and you're dying, like, if I live, okay, it's Christ. If I die, still gain. Like, you know when you, either which way you still win, praise God. Either which way you still win, because he's sure, he's confident, and because he's submitted to God, he can say that. Notice that before, or pre-Acts 9, he, he wouldn't be saying these things, praise God. Pre-Acts 9, he will be saying this. But when he had that encounter, he can now say this confidently because he has a basis by which he can say this because of his surrender to Christ. Praise God. Then Acts, we see Acts 18. Acts 18, 1 to 3. Acts 18, see, after Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he'd found a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and walked, for they were tent makers by trade. Praise God. So what is Apostle Paul? What is he aside? Eh? A tent maker, right? Tent make, tent, a tent maker. You'll be wondering, what kind of trade is that? Do people do tent making in this day and age? No. Something similar to that is public construction. They build they built houses where people will live or build structures. Let me use structure, not houses, because some people will be wondering if it's tent a house. Yeah. And by the way, in scriptures, they will say tent. They use tent inter, inter, interchangeably with houses. So just where people will stay. So it means that this man had something he was doing, right? Will you say he was effective? Yeah? You know, if you did a trade and people don't require your trade, will you be in trade? Eh? Or if you're, if you're doing stuff, you know, people, you know, you can have family members support you. Not because, <laughs> not because you are doing it well, just to encourage you that you can get better. And that's a trade. That would be a trade. But notice that people outside of your family members might not patronize you. Praise God. So for you to be effective, you really need to put in a whole lot into it. And notice that that doesn't stop him from doing the gospel that he knows he was called to, right? That he's very sure of. Because... That encounter gave him a sense of direction. He went 180, and he knew where he was going to. Praise God. And he, he received training in that respect as well. Praise God. So I'm trying to ensure that we understand that as spiritual or Christian leaders, it's not, it doesn't just stop as, at being effective in church. People should see that effectiveness translate into other areas of your life. Praise God. It's very important that it translates because it's further enforces, enforces to individuals that are watching, and even to yourself, that really this thing is not one area of my life. When you touch me in every area, I shock or I electrocute. Because power doesn't, you know, power doesn't choose where it, like when 
when you have electricity, just anywhere, as far as it's the naked part of the cable, you would get electrocuted. You don't, it doesn't like select, right? That's a very good one. It doesn't select, it doesn't select where exactly it is, it's going to, okay, if you touch me at this end, I will electrocute. If you don't touch me at that end, notice that as far as you touch a naked wire, the, the drama, what happens is a little bit of a shaking, praise God. A little bit of that happens, and if you stay long enough, you might not live to see the next day, praise God. So, so the reasons why we should succeed in our academic and in our academics and career pursuit as leaders, we have four points that we're just gonna be focusing on very quickly and then we'll do the bonus part of it. First, number one is to reflect God's glory. Notice that the glory we're reflecting is not of ourselves, it's God's glory. So who owns the glory is God that owns the glory and we're just reflectors. It's like the sun shining on the moon and the moon reflecting the, the lights from the sun. Praise God. One is to reflect God's glory. Two is to be a model. Be a model. Be a model. Then three is that measure of God's faithfulness, a measure of God's faithfulness. That's the reason why we should be a major of God's faithfulness because people can, notice that a major is, people can at least see God's faithfulness through your faithfulness to God, praise God, and to increase in wisdom as well, to increase in wisdom. So we're going to look at the first point, which is to reflect God's glory. The first point, which is to reflect God's glory. You say, a leader that claims seriousness in church and approaches his study or career differently may be a hypocrite or is a hypocrite. Praise God. Praise God. How many of you know what the word hypocrite, I know we use it a lot. That guy is a hypocrite. Why will he be looking like that? Why will he be doing something like that? He's a hypocrite. He's a hypocrite. How many of us pretentious? Yeah. The actual root word of that word is to wear a mask. <laughs> Most of us have face masks and there. Yeah, we wear masks, right? So notice that the, it's, 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 it makes sense to you when you understand the, how it was used back then. People in theaters, they normally wear masks. If you know characters, if you want to play a character, you have to, if a person is playing the character of someone that's crying the role, the person will have to put up crying to depict that character, praise God. So, so it means that if an individual is playing a certain character, they will just wear a mask of that character. And in fact, even the thing in those, I think the, I, I've seen a couple of, where certain characters, like uh, I can't remember the particular character though, the person is black, but the person will have to paint himself white to look white and communicate certain white gestures, even though originally, after they're done acting, when they get back home, they, turn, they have to clean off those things and become black. So, so eh? clowns, yeah, they, the clowns do that, but before clowns were clowns, they were these people that, they were certain acting where they have to, and even some very good actors, they, they call it method acting, where they will have to change their physical self to fit into the character. Somebody that is not that, will have to gain that much weight, or somebody that is big will have to shrink to fit, or somebody that is, that is not imbecilic will have to act in that way. Somebody that's not imbecile have to act. I watched the movie once, the guy acted so well, I had to go and Google the guy to see whether he actually was him, because he was playing the role, he was playing the role, I think some of us know the movie I'm talking about. Miracle in Cell 7. I cried several times. I had to remind myself it's a movie, and I, stuck, I cried again after I reminded myself it was a movie. I just went back. <laughs> I remember myself it was a movie. I was just crying back and forth. It was very emotional. Notice that for someone, for someone to get that emotion out of you, even though you know 
it means that that person knows they, they, they do it very well. Praise God. They do it very well. And some people in their Christian life do it very well. Praise God. They show up in church. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you, sister. Bless you, brother. Bless you. Their voice. I don't. Yes, pastor. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And it's like they're on fire. Then when it gets to the academics or their career, the fire comes down a little bit. It turns to smoke. <laughs> it turns to smoke. And you'll be looking for the fire because in church, the fire is everywhere. You'll be wondering whether it's the fire in the place or the fire in the individual. But when you go to the academics, it's, it's, not, it's not there. And the question is, who has the problem? Is it the, the church or God, the person, or the academics? You know, most times the problem is we don't understand, okay, when there's a problem, you have to blame someone else because someone else has to take the blame for the problem because you are never the cause of the problem. You say, oh, I don't like that person. We we're, were discussing yesterday. Oh, that lady is very annoying. She's very annoying. I don't just like her. Very annoying. Question is, you yourself, have you thought about the people that will be saying the same for you? You know, it's very easy to dish it out to people because dishing it out doesn't require much. Just carry it, give it to them. <laughs> you don't pay. Just speak your mind and let them deal with it. Praise God. But notice that being hypocritical or posing us, it's, it's, it's really, people can see over time, right? Because notice that the person that is acting will not act for the rest of their life. It requires time, right? So after the semester, we'll know. But throughout the sun, all the Sundays, all the services, it was fire. But the semester will show whether it was fire or smoke the end of the semester. Praise God. So it's very important that we understand that we are reflecting God's glory. So if we show up in church, we reflect God's glory. When we go to academics, we reflect God's glory. Everywhere we enter, we reflect God's glory. What we just need to do is to align ourselves and reflect. Praise God. We align ourselves and reflect. So if we are not reflecting, it's because we're not aligning. And you can fake aligning, but for a while. Praise God. So Christ does not have a double lifestyle. Christ never did. If you see him healing, you see him praying, you see him doing all those things, he was, was single-minded. Praise God. He was single-minded in what he did. And should we, let's, let's do Hebrews 13 quickly, since we have just that one on that slide. Hebrews 13, 8. Hebrews 13, 8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not the same today and then somebody different yesterday and then forever is going to be different and different and keep, he keeps changing. If he's the same yesterday and forever, he's consistent. I think James talks of God the Father self not having any shadow of turning. He doesn't shape shift. Doesn't shape shift. It's just it's the same person. Praise God. So we should adopt the lifestyle of our Heavenly Father. Praise God. And our brother, our elder brother, Jesus Christ, who is God. So as followers, we should not be found doing that double lifestyle where you have something different here. It's, it gets difficult. Like you can't put that, like just stand on one end and go go with that. Praise God. 
So if you're known as, if you're serious in church, you should also be serious in academics and your career. And please avoid the whole idea of adopting. We'll get to that part. Let me not go ahead of myself. Where you, you show up and as they are, just do, let's do as they are doing. When we're in Rome, let's behave like the Romans. What if you're not from Rome? Praise God. So to be a model, to be a model, to be a model. People will follow you as a leader because you represent to them a model of what I expected, what is expected to be. Praise God. So, so people, people naturally look for people to look up to, right? People naturally look for people to look up to. And it's very much exemplified in the people we follow. You see somebody that does something better than yourself, you like the person. You just, and sometimes you don't even understand why you like the person until you analyze and figure out that, oh, wow, I discovered that he does this like this, or he does this like this, or he does this better than himself. But on contrary to what I think Pastor Fred said, you don't, it's not competition. Don't be threatened by the other person. Sometimes we can adopt where we're threatened by the other person, and then we lose out in getting the blessing from the other person. Praise God. So being threatened by the other person denies you or blocks a chance for you to, because when someone, when someone models or wants to model you, invariably, as Apostle Paul will say, follow me as I follow Christ. Because if they are trying to model you, they are modeling the lifestyle of Christ, knowingly or unknowingly. Praise God. Knowingly or unknowingly. So that's very, it's very important that we note that. And that's what I just quoted. A leader, would be a, poor, a leader with a poor academic and career record is a contradiction, she said contradiction, of a man that has met the Lord. Contradiction. It doesn't add up. Black and white. Like you say, oh, it doesn't. Contradiction. So it's contrary to what you're saying. You know, when they say, let your actions and your word not betray you. You say one thing and you do another, or you, you do another and you say another. Praise God. People can, people shy away from people. You know, when somebody, I think Pastor, Victor was sharing on Sunday about um, Bill Cosby. Notice that when someone is held high up here and then they do otherwise because they are people, they have influence, people look up to them. Once they now see that, oh, so all this while your family and everything, you're the one now, like, you're foiling or ruining it for people because people that he had had those encounters with, they have this lasting, long lasting mark with um, trauma and all of those things that happens with it. So you should be a model. And that is the reason why you have to balance things up. Praise God. A leader must model excellence. Very important, must model excellence, diligence, commitment, and be resilient in every area of his, his or her life. I know that this is a lot because you've been wanting excellence, diligence, commitment, resilience, never including the academics and the career. So he must be a model of what he teaches. So don't say one thing and do another. You have to practice what it is you do preach. We're not saying that you're not going to struggle to practice, but you have to be committed too. That's why there's commitment there. And you have to be diligent at it as well. And you should not stop. You should be resilient. Praise God. When Jesus arrives, when Jesus arrives to earth, he did not start teaching, but he modeled it for 30 years before going to public ministry, which is very important. There's a reason why he did not come and then automatically move straight into it. There's always a time where, there's always a time of training. There's always a time of training. Someone said, if you're not reigning, 
it means that you're still in training. If you're not raining, it means that you're still in training. So you always don't neglect that time where you are building yourself and you're learning and you're growing to be able to, to, to be revealed to the world or to be that which God has destined you to be. So we say that and look. I just want to just go past. So Apostle John testified. Let's just read that part. He said, and the world was made flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory. Remember, reflecting his glory. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. So, notice that the glory that was beheld is because the individual was filled of grace and truth. So, what are you filled of? Praise God. What are you full of? Are you full of God's grace and of his truth? Because if you're full of something, if they shake you, what will come out is that thing. If life squeezes you, what will come out is that thing. So if you're empty, shake you. What will come out is noise. Bang, 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 bang. You know, <laughs> proud and loud. Praise God. <laughs> Somebody sit now. So, so people should behold and see the glory of God in your life and then hear it from your mouth. Praise God. People should behold and see the glory of God in your life. And then when you open your mouth to speak, it's an extension. I think um, it's, um, what was his name again? Um, evangelist that died. No, no. Bill Graham. Bill Graham said, he always lives his life from the overflow. He always lives his life from the overflow. He says he's preparing to preach for 30 minutes, one hour, but he loses himself with a whole sermon, four sermons, to preach one sermon. Praise God. Loses himself with a lot, and that was quite powerful. So the next point is a measure of faithfulness. A measure of faithfulness. Faithfulness in the little. Major of faithfulness. So notice that no matter what, even when they said, Talk about faith, mustard seed. Notice that faith, no matter what it is, it shows. When someone is faithful, it doesn't, it's not about the size right now. It's about the willingness of the heart of the individual to still live out what is required of them. Praise God. So we are stewards of God's resources. Let's always remember that God had given us these things and we'll give account. Praise God. He has given you something, you give account. No matter what it is, small or big, going back to that servant, they gave everybody their own. Because they gave you one, you're, you're trying to rebel. And you're rebellion, you went and did the opposite, or you went and planted it to see whether it would germinate. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. It wasn't funny for him at the end. So, 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 so understand that your, 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 your faithfulness, understand that he has given you these resources, and he requires, or what is required for you to... Is including intelligence and time and opportunities. Those are the things included in it. Praise God. Intelligence, time. Time is one thing that we abuse. We think that we always will have time. We we'll use time. We say, okay, because there's tomorrow. And the people will say, no one knows tomorrow, but you still want to shift it to tomorrow. Praise God. You shift it to tomorrow. So to be in school or a career is an opportunity that many on earth do not have or do not have. And God expects you to be faithful. And just, remind, just a reminder that 
People are looking for the opportunity or looking for that thing you do have. It almost gets you on your toes. It puts you in a place where you don't want to abuse or misuse what has been given to you. Praise God. So, so, so faithfulness is something that is required. And we must ensure that the intelligent time and opportunity that God gives us in school and career is not wasted. It's not wasted. If you see the way God does things, I think I was, I was thinking about it, thinking about it even when I was teaching. I said, even in the things that we live up day to day, God doesn't even waste it. Notice that the CO2 you give, the plant uses it and gives you back oxygen. In fact, the cycle is such that nothing in nature goes to waste. We're the ones that are the wasters of what exactly it is given to us. Because if you want to, you can recycle anything, and the world is telling us that. You can recycle. People, there's a whole lot of recycling that goes on with certain things. Even things that you thought that was useless. I think I saw some years back, Kyoto Sachets, that is, in fact, one other lady, and I think I saw it which day, the lady in Kenya, which of those African countries, uh, one of those African countries, she uses the waste things to make tiles, bricks, and all of those things. She mixes it with cement and all of that thing. Notice that you can make the most of anything that is given to you. Even if people call it trash, you can turn it to treasure. Praise God. So academic and career pursuits can be endeavors that God uses to, access the, yeah, to assess the faithfulness of a leader. So if you're found faithful in little things, as we are seeing from the scripture, spiritual riches, then more. Because the spiritual things that are given to you, if you're faithful in them, you translate that faithfulness to other things. Praise God. So the last bit is to increase in wisdom. Our mental capacity and ability to articulate things are well and greatly enhanced by our education. Praise God. They said education broadens the mind. Whether you like it or not, how you are in 100 level and how you are in 400 level, big difference. I was telling, that's one of my slides. I used to use it to illustrate a particular thing. It gets very funny. I just, just talking about it, I just remember the slide. So, I don't want to bore you with the whole science of it, but I just showed them that at level one, the head is a little bit like this. I use this head for it, but it's actually orbitals. So when you get to the second level bigger, then I said when you get to the fourth level, the head explodes because it's no longer there. It can't carry itself again. So it's, it gets funny, but it's the way they remember it. And notice that with every level you get, there's a whole lot of knowledge you amass. There's a whole lot of knowledge you amass. In the first year, it was the whole tax in the school was overwhelming. Like, you be like, you, and notice that some people don't know why it's overwhelming. Notice that you just showed up in 100 level. If you are, you're used to the Nigerian terrain and now you're in North Cyprus, things are a lot complicated. You're dealing with the weather. You're dealing with the fact that you don't know where to find things. You're dealing with the fact that things are expensive and you go to the market, you have to convert it from Naira to Tele or from the shillings or whatever currency you have in your country down to the current. So, so when you're just going left, right, side, you, then you show up in the class, some of the teachers are not even friendly. They're even hard to, you like, you get it. And then they can be mixed. Their English is mixed with English, Turkish, and then you don't understand me. You go, you don't, you're trying to figure out things. <laughs> you're trying to figure out things, and, and you, it's, it's overwhelming. You, you'll be like, ah, this semester, is this how life will be? How can we survive? Lord, ah, church is exciting because you can understand that part. You're used to it when you show up. And the funny thing is that the style of worship in Nigeria, when you come here, it's almost like the same thing. So you can flow with that one very easily. And then you'll be wondering why you're flowing there and you're not flowing here. <laughs> Praise God. So notice that if you're able to sit down and, 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 and ask God and think about it, most times we don't take time to think. And we don't go to the bank and, and pay like 
2,000 tailored to think for 24 hours, and then after that, we now reload and see how we can think more. Praise God. Notice that that's not how it works. So you just put on your thinking cap and ensure that God ministers to you through your thoughts because he does do that and give you wisdom on how to, to manage and how to, to navigate through situations or circumstances that are new to you because they are new to you. That's why it's complicated. Praise God. So Christ increased in wisdom, Scripture tells us. Increased in wisdom and stature, obtained favor from God, his Father, and with people. So notice that for you to be effective, you don't want to stay with the wisdom of yesterday. Because even people, technology is advancing. Previously, when you carry the phone, you should see, you see buttons. That's what you can understand. But now, there's touch screen. Now, there's hologram. There's a whole lot of technology. So you should not be running with the old. So there's a, there are many things that's, that are going on. AI. I was seeing now. Uh, it's amazing the things that can happen. It's amazing the things that can happen with technology. So, and those things are signs of the end times and signs of the fact that the knowledge will increase and all of that. You see, and it was not just because he was God, because sometimes people think that, oh, how do how, how you work for God? No, he's God. So if you just show up in the scene, turn on divinity. Divinity activated. Then he starts manifesting all the things he wants to manifest. Then when he comes down, it's time to cry. Humanity activated. That's not how it works. He's still the same person. Yes, he was God, but he walked this earth like we, did, like we are. So he can very much relate. He cried. He did a whole lot of things. Notice that there was no button for that. So he's 100% human, and he, was, he sets the example for us. Christ, humanity, and all of that. He said, the wisdom Christ demonstrated during his earth, earthly life cannot be unconnected or disconnected from his commitment to excellence and scholarship. So we have a string of scriptures. But I'd just like us to understand this. At the age of 12, he shows up. Notice that he was studying at that age for him to be able to intellectually. Notice that he did not get it from the air. Now, some people think that this thing's called just put you. Or put your head, sleep on your books. Some of us sleep with our books, and then some form of osmosis, diffusion, and, and your Bible, too, because people think that that's how it works. The Bible. You open your Bible to read, the Bible starts reading you. you slip <laughs> off, and then, and then you wake up and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It was a wonderful Bible study. That is that for you to grow in wisdom, you have to take that effort to put wisdom. In the world, they, they grow in wisdom, right? The question is, what did they put inside them to give them that wisdom? They, they learn. They learn. They learn. They put stuff in their heads. They don't relent. If, if you want to know how to fly a plane, you spend that much years, going to the school and then you learn what you're doing now, you're going to learn. But the problem is that people just put it on the short term, pass the exams. People know, I said, you can be very good at passing exams. And then at the end of the semester, at the end of the graduation, you're... <laughs> you know, you, people used to wonder why they fling the thing there. Some people say, even signboard, I will not read. <laughs> even signboard, I will not, I will not read. They will break the pen, they will sign on their clothes and all of those things, and they are growing in wisdom. <laughs> Praise God. So you cannot, you cannot, you cannot live life that way. You cannot live like that way. Praise God. So, so he'll sound, he'll, you have to be sound and sound all around, and the way you can do it is by seeking wisdom and growing in that wisdom. There's a wisdom of, the, notice that if you want to grow in God's word, you study God's word, right? 
If you want to grow in your academics, you study your academics. Praise God. So looking at Jesus' teaching, and if you want to, if you think you're in doubt, just look at the way, read your Bible and see the way Jesus himself articulates his words. He meets people at the very point. Notice that he had to understand those people to meet them at the point, very point. If he's talking to farmers, he uses the terms they can understand, meaning that he was sound. By the way, his profession is not farming. He was a carpenter. But he's able to, be, to enlarge his understanding of things, be sensitive to the people's needs. It's for you to actually tell parables. I was telling somebody, I said, so, um, Samson, we don't give him much credit. That guy was intelligent. Because some people, Samson, yeah, Samson, Samson, the one that you know. <laughs> because they say, Samson, oh, my God, what Delilah did to him? You think that guy gets sense at all? <laughs> no. Look, read, his, read the parable for you to, the, 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 um, the riddle, sorry, I'm saying parable. The riddle, for you to give that kind of a riddle, you have to think. But you have to think, even though it seems like a, if you, you know, when you read the Bible, you know, like, oh, why didn't they get it? Just go there, without the knowledge. <laughs> you know, when you read the story, you have watched the movie, and then you'll be like, oh, this guy didn't like this. You know, we can be very, we can be very analytical. And <laughs> love it. So examples, <laughs> simple thing. You know, it's very easy, like, oh, you guys are dull. You guys are all dull. You have seen the exam, the answers to the question. Now, why would you be, why, why, would, why would they look dull? Mm. They, will, they will be dull. So notice that, that, that even the religious leaders, the questions they ask, how he answers them, the importance. So it just goes down to, 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 to tell how wisdom is very, like it's very important. It's important. And for you to have wisdom, you have to seek and acquire it. Scripture says wisdom is a principal thing. In all your dealing, get wisdom. Wisdom of God's word is required. And you can be, you can enter the spirit realm and be flying in the spirit realm. When you come to the natural, you're going to be wrecked without wisdom. Praise God. You can just, you know, you know, when you don't understand gravity, you know, sometimes your parents will teach you lessons on gravity without you knowing. Right? You know, every child, you know, notice that the child, you want to just fly. Climb on the chair. We've done, we did that growing up. We break our hand, we learn. Even when we break our hand, they massage it, we still don't get the point, we go and jump again. But when you break your hand like two, three times, the massaging process will teach you a lesson. And notice that you acquire some form of learning from that. Practical, it's very practical. But, but notice that that is for certain things. But if you want to acquire higher, something higher than that, you have to give yourself into this learning and understanding, most especially with God, but it has to translate to other things in your life. Praise God. You shouldn't wonder why you love the Lord and you still fail your exams. That's because it doesn't translate. Your love for him will not make him change the F to an A. One of my students, he said, <laughs> he clicked his button, he said he saw a DD, he said, one light teacher, I saw a DD, and he changed to an FF. <laughs> I, I laughed. I, I laughed. I said, I said, why didn't you refresh your computer? Since it was refreshing, that cost to refresh it again. He said, you refresh it, well, it did not change back. I was like, that's because that's the real thing. <laughs> that's the real thing. That's the real thing. That's the real thing. <laughs> so, so I'll, just, I'll just give us this bonus to finish off, looking at my time. I'll give us a couple of pointers. 
the finish of going, going. And by the way, I want you to not just laugh at the things I'm saying, but just understand the underlying principles around about it. And one thing, for you to be able to balance your spiritual with your academic and your career, you have to have the right kind of mindset, right? Mindset, and you have to engage habits. Because some of us, our old habits are not helping us. Praise God. We have to engage mindsets, engage habits that will help us to be consistent, that will help us to grow. Because the problem is that once you fail in a particular area, it means that you're weak in that particular area. And yes, his strength is made perfect in your weakness, but you need to put in that effort. Train. Praise God. He's not going to come down and do it for you. He's going to enable you to do it for yourself. Praise God. And it's very important. So that mindset, and, and I, I noticed that for students, I, I discovered that there's, there's certain mindsets that they do have. Like some of them will be shocked to realize that people get 4.0. I, I see facial reactions. Like, ah, I see she got 4.0. Whoa, wow. Like, and in their heads, what they're thinking is, she doesn't have a life. <laughs> she doesn't have a life. Like she doesn't have a life. Like she doesn't probably doesn't have a boyfriend. She doesn't have this. She doesn't, they will all be analyzing and, and say. And I said, yeah, she doesn't have two heads. She just has one head, one good functioning head. Praise God, and that's what you need. And that commitment, that sense of pushing into it, and it's a mindset. And some of us don't know we have mindsets <laughs> that are wrong until it, something challenges it. Yeah, lights. Something challenges it. Praise God. Apostle Paul was doing fine as Saul. The light came. <laughs> he now changed the trajectory of his life. So some of us need to find the right kind of mindset. And most times God's word will make it clear to us. Sometimes people will have to shake it. Shake it. The right kind of people, not the wrong. Praise God. Max, John C. Maxwell, pastor and leadership coach on a couple, he says, you cannot achieve what you have not defined. And one of the problems we do face is that we don't define. We don't define our friends. We don't define what grades we want to have. We don't define certain things. We just allow it. It's like when we get there, we'll cross the bridge. Just imagine you walk to the bus stop and say when you get there, you will just find the right bus. Notice that the most likely thing that's going to happen is that when you get there, you're going to left kosher, but you saw Goyenli and you entered. Or you, you, act like, you act like this or that. You say, when you, when you show up there, the first bus you see, I'll follow it. I'll follow it. And notice that once you don't have a target, anything is a target. Yeah, yeah, you'll also be the target at the end of the day. So, so, um, so um, a bishop, Bishop um, David Oyebo, this is a, so for some of us that are not familiar, and is a, is a general overseer of a church in Nigeria, living church, church, and I don't know whether it's global. I think it should be global as well. He wrote a book, Ruling the World and a Recipe for Impact, Impactful Living. It says, until something changes in you, nothing changes around you. Every change begins from within. Without a change within you, there can never be a change without you. Around, that's around you. Praise God. And I love the way God works his things. He works from within, by his spirit. Spirit works in your heart, and then people see the change outside, right? But notice that the world wants to squeeze you into his mold. Romans 12, verses 2. 
world wants to squeeze you to his mold. But what it says going forward, it says you should be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Means that if your mindset is not set, let's leave it like that. We know what happens afterwards. So, so if you have a wrong mindset, you have the wrong results because it can't work. Praise God. So there's a quote I saw from some, somewhere. It says, an iron is destroyed by its rust. And I rephrase it to say, a person is destroyed by his or her mindset. Praise God. So what mindset you're holding on to, dangerous, whatever it is. And notice that when we started off, we corrected the mindset or notion that we do have, that, that your spiritual life is different from your physical. And that is the mindset. When you put them apart, you will probably get it wrong. But once you leave from that part, notice that you want your spiritual to influence your physical, right? You want your spiritual to influence your physical because you know that your spiritual is superior to the physical because the spiritual, your spiritual part of you controls the physical. So it means that if you want to really be effective, you have to translate it. That's why when, when I think Pastor Mawin was, was talking during the interview, he says he ensures that his devotion translates into his studies, right? So because that, that's the tempo, like that rhythm, it just, it just, he just carries it into that. And because he's successful at that area, it translates. Notice that people around the world, notice that once they are successful in one area of their life, they translate that success to other areas of their life. In fact, their mindset is that they can never fail. Praise God. Their mindset is that they can never fail. So when they're approaching it, they're approaching it with the excellence that they have in this particular area of their life. And that's how they win every time. And you'll be wondering, oh, why is, this, why is this that this guy doesn't, you think it's witchcraft, but you just have a mindset. You just have a mindset, and if it's wrong, if it's wrong, it's wrong and it's dangerous. It's just you can be winning, but at some point in time, something will mess with that. But it doesn't mean that they will lose. Like you will get results with whatever it is if it's correct, though. So it requires hard work. For us to actually be able to balance all of them, it requires hard work. So sometimes we don't actually, we want it to be soft touch because we're in a time and age where things, is touch screen. Touch screen, no much effort. You don't have to be pressing buttons. Just touch it. Things are voice activated. Google, what's the weather? Siri, Alexa, everything. All of those things, you just be talking and then it should just be happening. I was telling people of a smart house. You just show up in the house. You'll say, Chidi's at the door. <laughs> camera will just come and pick my face and tell the ogre of the house that Chidi's at the door. Then you just say, open the door for him. Chidi will now show up. Then you now say, make Chidi comfortable in the living room. <laughs> then, then, then she just, AC will just be happening and everything will just be working. I'm not telling you, Fimu. It's for real. So some of you have not known the technology, so I'm just introducing you to the technology. <laughs> so it's, it's smart home, smart homes. So what will happen is that you just come, you just say, ah, Arsenal is playing a match. So just... Ask now, just show on the screen. But sorry, sorry. So to do all the, okay, football match is happening. So I don't know offend the Arsenal fans in the house because I know the little person the little person. So 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 all of these things, notice that you can voice act, but you can't voice activate your way to success. <laughs> you, cannot, you cannot say, Google, I want to be successful. Google say sorry. Did you catch that? <laughs> <laughs> so, so it requires hard work. William A. Ward says that once given, he, when, when he was asked, given the recipe for success, he says, study while others are sleeping, work while others are loafing, prepare while others are playing, and dream while others are wishing. 
Very powerful. Study while others are sleeping. Doesn't mean in the night. Doesn't mean in the night. Doesn't mean in the night. I had a, I had a, I had a, I had a friend that was ahead of me back in. He, he will play football. He will play, 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 play. I'm saying it because it connects. He will play football during the day. And then in the night, he will go and study. And then when he gets his result, he will say, but you played, Benjamin, you were playing ball with us. <laughs> The guy has planned himself and he knows what works for him. So it's left for you to know what works for you. So if you are playing football and you know that if you play, you sleep throughout the night, you leave half, halfway <laughs> and rest so that you can be able to wake up and study. So on the other side, we see Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect was not without effect, meaning that there's results. It says, no, I worked harder than all of them. See, the grace was there, but God was still working. It says, yet, not I, but the grace of God that was in me, with me. So, there's a balance. Someone will say, read like there's no God. Read like God is not going to be there to save, but you know there's God, right? Yes, sir. Read like that. And then pray like you did not read. Pray like you did not study. Notice that in that, you will get the results that you require. Praise God. In that, you get the results that you require. Technology, very important. Some of us don't know that there are things that you can do with technology that you don't need to do with your head. Praise God. Some of us know that formerly used to, people used to calculate things with Habakkuk's. People used to calculate things with their head. People used to calculate with stuff. But now there are certain advanced calculations that you can do with technology. I'm hearing, my, I'm hearing people's voices. I don't know why. I don't think my voice can be multiplied into multiple voices, but the pitch is that of a lady. And I know the lady. If they can only keep quiet and listen. Use technology to your advantage. Praise God. So like fire, it can be constructive or destructive. Praise God. It can be constructive or destructive. So you can use fire to cook food. You can use fire to burn down a house. So what is important is how it's used, right? Yeah. It's how it is used. So you can use it to advantage or disadvantage. So there are many things that you can use to ease off. Because most of us, we want to do everything by ourselves. want to do everything by ourselves. Only you want to be here, there, here, there. You can't be. You're not omnipresent. You're not omnipresent. You're not the commander of the universe. You don't, you're, not, you're not any of those things. And when you remind yourself of what you can do and what you cannot do, you are able to be effective. Praise God. And there was a time in my life where I was, <laughs> I was doing several churches. I was, and not, not that I was doing them on the same day. I would attend here, attend here. I was trying not to displease. I was trying to carry everybody along. Praise God. Then I think a mommy from the UK came and told me, Hedy, do you want to kill yourself? I was like, no, I'm serving the Lord, serving the Lord faithfully. I want to serve the Lord to understand that you're only human and you can only, and it just took a matter of time. It was difficult for me because I need to, some of us are very used to habit. You're very stuck in it. You can be one, two, three, and it's very difficult. Sometimes you can't, you know, you know when you're doing something and you have to change, but you don't want to change because you're used to doing it. That's, that's a very, that's a very, it's not really addiction. It's just, it's just because you, you can't say you're addicted to it. You're just committed to it. Some people are so committed. And that's why they choose, they choose what they're committed to. Because if they're committed, they commit all the way. Praise God. 
So, so you have, just have to tell yourself the truth. And then going back to this, there are a lot of resources. I just wrote a few of this, a few of them that I use, that I understand, that, and there are many more of them. I just put, that's why I put ETC. So you have things like Khan Academy where you can learn things very quickly in a short time. And there's made this crash course. There's a whole lot of them that are available. There's Evernote that you can use, and you can sync it across all your app, and you can be able to write notes and spread them. There's a whole lot more. There's Forest. Forest is a application, it's a productivity application that helps you to focus. It's a focus. Then you have Wikipedia. People use Wikipedia, people upload Wikipedia. You have Photomats applications for those of us doing engineering that require calculations and all of that. You have School Planner, you have TikTok to do list to, to do list. You have not TikTok. <laughs> not TikTok to those of you that are doing social media. Not TikTok. You have Money Lover. Some of us don't keep account of what comes in and what goes out. Money Lover is a very good, it's a good app. To help it sounds like a money, money lover is a good app. It helps you keep track of your expenses. You write in your income, and you'll be making. I know some of you don't like that kind of a thing because you will now see yourself for who you really are. <laughs> you see yourself for who you really are, but it's very good. It's a financial. It's an app that helps you keep track of your expenses, and it helps you to start managing because it's not when you now have the big money that you'll be able to manage. It's in the little that you're able to manage the big that is on the way. And some of us don't understand that if you can't manage the little, the big will never come to you. Learn that lesson of management. Praise God. So, and also some of you are doing, you're, you know how to follow pastors on social media, follow this person, follow that person, follow celebrities on social media. But in your current, your field and your career, or your, you don't follow anybody from there. <laughs> and I wonder, are you really passionate about what you're doing? Or passionate, your whole passion is only to the Lord. And then you're wondering why you're failing in those other areas. You'll be failing in those other areas because if you're a lawyer, you should, you should be able to follow top-notch lawyers. If you're a biomedical engineer, you should be able to follow a couple of biomedical engineers. And that is how you keep track of the current trends in your field. For easy. You don't need to graduate to keep track with the current trends in your field. You can just follow them and on their timeline. Some of you, you just need to look at your timeline and you see that this person is that's not, that's not, so, hey, man, you fan. Let me use another club. <laughs> so that there would not be a problem. Or a Chelsea fan or whatever fan. Or this person loves basketball. This person loves football. Or this person loves movies. Just, just yeah, the, even YouTube does it very, because they, they keep track of your algorithm. So, so if I just look at you, you know what you have been watching, all the things you like watching. Some people, they just love comedies. Just maybe the world is too hard, so they just have to, <laughs> have to hook onto something to make them laugh. So when you just see, you're like, and sometimes they point out that the person is probably depressed. So point out the person is probably depressed. So so you have to follow follow these people. You have to follow these individuals and help yourself get better at your fields and on the rest. And there are several things that you will learn from these people that will just be an added plus to you. Praise God. So how to manage? So how to manage? How to manage failure. Some people struggle. Failing doesn't mean that it's the end of the world. Failure is just a single, it's an event. It's not your entire life. Praise God. Failure is just an event. It's not your entire life. So don't, don't take it hard on yourself. So failure to excel is traceable to poor planning, unpreparedness, and poorly managing your physical, emotional, social, spiritual, and intellectual health. So if you don't manage all of these things, you will fail because those things are affected. If you don't sleep well, you can show up in the exam hall and be screaming, attack, attack. But the question is that you attacked your sleep, and the sleep decided to attack you back in the exam hall, where you, <laughs> you didn't need to do so. So note that, um, note that it is 
little seeds that are sown and faithfully nurtured and they flourish into something beautiful. You have a forest from a seed. So it requires little, 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 and then you build a whole lot. Praise God. Instant gratification is what most people want, and they want to cut short or they, find, they want to find an easy way out of the process of academics and career successes, which now ends in a success that is short-lived or is cut short. Praise God. So when you want to get it quickly, you will never get it done. And most of us want to be big overnight. And that doesn't happen. You get disappointed back to back. So in conclusion, seek to run with and act on all that we have learned and we are learning and sharpen your total man. Praise God. Thank God for the whole, what we are doing on Wednesdays. Notice that it's a total man that has been sharpened. We want, want to ensure that every area of your life is good. We don't want you to be, as they will say, relevant for Christ and then other parts of your life is, is not working. Or the other side, you know, sometimes people don't understand that some people are relevant for the world, but they don't have Jesus. So strive for consistency. Notice that what gets the result is consistency. If you want to fill something with water, if you are bringing one cup every day, before you know it, you have a whole liter. So it just means that you should just need to be consistent. Hold on to the right mindset, regardless of public opinion. Some of us always want to be oh yes people. Oh yes. When they say, when, you, when somebody says something, you just say yes. You don't think about it. Don't think about it. They say, oh, when they pour salt under inside the fire, it's somehow they, yeah, yes, I've tried it. You have not tried it. Go and check and recheck because the technology has advanced. It doesn't work. So time will, um, time will, ever, will never be enough. That's it. Time will never be. 20, some people, 24 hours is enough. They want to add more to the 24 hours. But you can manage effectively over time with commitment. You can manage time effectively over time with commitment. So it means that there are certain things that you just need to manage. Because most of us, you have a job, and you still want to do the things you're doing when you're jobless. Think about it. You, you have a job, right? And the job requires time. And then when you were jobless, you had too much time in your hand. And then you want to still watch that series and still do this and do that and do that and still meet up with your job at the same time. Notice that it's only 24 hours. With time? I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. I really don't know. So, so you, have to, you have to ask yourself, the change will affect something. Something has to give. So you have to now prioritize and know what to give and what not to, what to, what should take your time and take control of your time. Don't allow things to take your time. Um, it's my time. Don't come and enter my space, or don't allow your friends use you rather than. <laughs> Praise God. So trust God for the wisdom to balance with excellence all the responsibility, all the responsibility on all fronts. Notice that you, you need wisdom to, per time, per season, and you need wisdom to know what to pull out, what to put in, and all of that. It will not fall on your head. Praise God. It will not just fall on your head. You have to reach for it. You have to strive for it. And being, you being not liking where you are is not a bad thing. You not liking where you are is not a bad thing. It shows something. It shows that you want more. As Apostle Paul would say, he doesn't want to settle for less. He doesn't, he's not looking at the things he has had in the past. He's looking forward. He's pressing on to something. Praise God. So that is that. So I'd like you to just, in conclusion, I'd like you to just pray. There's a whole lot that's been said. Some people laugh their way through the message and the teaching. It's good. But don't laugh the message away. Don't laugh the message. It's good to laugh. Some of us, with the laughing, it's entering. 
But let's not laugh. Let's, let's trust God to be able to apply these things. I'd like you to just open your mouth and say, Father, thank you for these things. I don't want to be that person that hears and not applies. I don't want to be that person that, that it goes in through one ear and goes out through the other. I want to be that person that really takes these things to heart, as, as Mary did for the things that she saw of Jesus Christ. Take these things into heart and trust you for the application of these things. Not myself, because I've failed so many times. Last year, I said I was going to do a couple of things. I failed woefully. And this year, this is January. We're about to get into February. And I've seen myself. The clouds are gathering. I'm about to fail again. But I know that you will give me the wisdom. You will enable me to do the things I need to do. And you empower me to make the changes, the changes to my lifestyle, the changes to my habits, the changes to the goals, or the changes to my mindset. Some of us is mindset that needs changing. Just say, Father, help me to have the right kind of mindset. Allow me to have the right kind of heart set, set on you and you alone and nothing else, and trust you for the wisdom to navigate through this academics, to navigate through my spiritual work, my academics, and my career in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Spirit of the living God. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. All right. All right. Hallelujah. So I just want to say something with me. Say, I will not fail as an individual. I will not fail as a nation. I will not fail as a team. I will not fail in the church. I will not fail in my purpose. Praise God. That's the sense why we are here, because you will take the leadership responsibility in those areas. Amen. So uh, I noticed Pastor Chidi was being really nice and he didn't want to hit on the Arsenal fans. Arsenal fans in the house, can I have them? <laughs> Pastor Fred, if you're in any save, Arsenal fans, ah, where are you guys? You're leaving the only... Chelsea fans, Chelsea fans, where are you guys? All right, hallelujah. So we have these teams. Nigerians, Zimbabwe, Botswana. All right, <laughs> nationality. Praise God. Zion, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> All right. You know, actually, I, I, was, I was on my status one day, I think last week, and someone said, if you're an Arsenal fan and you're in Nigeria, go and check your blood pressure. <laughs> and I was like, what was happening again? You know? So last, at about last week, right, we lost to Tunisia. The Nigerian team lost to Tunisia. And it was heartbreaking because I was monitoring. <laughs> It was very unbearable, you know? And that happened. And Egypt, that we flogged in group stage, what happened to them? They played penalty with Ivory Coast, and they won the 16th stage, right? We, we beat someone in the group level, and we both, you know, moved to the 16th round, and we lost the 16th round, and they won, right? Even if it's by penalty, right? The point is that these guys won. And for me personally, I see Egypt as one of those teams that might actually take the Afcon, you know? I'm just, sir? <laughs> oh, that call. Hey, thank you. Thank you for taking me there. Thank you for taking me there. Now, what is said just brought me to where I was going. But it's just that it moved very fast. But before, I'll come back to that. So I started asking questions. What is making Nigeria win as a team? Um, Nigeria, why did Nigeria lose against Tunisia as a team? And why did Egypt, you know, won their own, uh, their own match, right? Even if it's by penalty, what is happening? 
uh, that aside, also Asna, over time, Asna used to be the threat of Premier League. You know, they used to be the lords, you know, those days of Thierry Henry, you know? Unbeaten. <laughs> Unbeaten. And, and I just wonder, what is happening? Like, people just started turning Asna to memes. <laughs> and, you know, it was so, like, ah, ah. Is it the same Asna that I know? <laughs> that is why we are here, because I'm going somewhere. <laughs> so, I started asking the question. What makes up an effective team that continues to win? So it, it brings me to the question. What made, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try the question to us. Why did you think a team loses a match? Why do you think a team malfunctions that become ineffective? Why do you think a team that has been very effective is no more effective, or a team that was not effective is becoming effective? I want to ask, I'm training questions at those, and I want to get response back. What are those factors that you think contribute to the effectiveness of a team? So back to what you said. They said they called Buari, and that was why Nigeria lost. Well, so that's one factor, if that's part of what affects the team. Buari is not part of the team. <laughs> so if you're going to blame him, or is it the white Jesse? Since I told my wife when we started watching the match, I said, ah, this white Jesse. Ah, I don't trust it. The moment they lost, she said, you said it. Why Jesse? <laughs> they come <up>. Imagine. <laughs> So I'm trying the question to raise. I want hands raised up or just give suggestions. Why do you think a team loses? Or why do you think a team can be effective? Can you just say anything? I'm trying it as so answer, yes. When they don't prepare well, so we have preparation. Bad leadership too. All right, let me just get my pen because I, I really want this to be as interactive. Can somebody be writing for me? So we have uh Chairman, please write for me. We have lack of preparation or poor preparation, right? Yeah. Then bad leadership. Then not fruitful communication. Disunity, one factor. Teamwork. So if teamwork is absence, then external factors. When there is more than one division, it's called division. Please write it down. All right. Just one last one more. When they lose focus, overconfidence. Oh, when one person wants to be four man. All right, so that doesn't work. Hallelujah. Now, all we have said, lack of trust. Yeah, yeah, if you don't trust your team. All we have said is, I mean, they are very correct. But the future in different ways in different teams. What about a team that is effective, that is perfect, that is focused, a team that is united, a team that is strong enough and has everything. What other thing do you think can make them feel? All right. Bad leadership. What if they have the good leadership? All right. So this brings us to the book I was reading. So when I was told to teach on teamwork, in, effective teamwork in leadership, I, I was actually reading a book. For those who get married, it's titled The Husband After God's Own Heart. The chapter two of that book is teaching about teamwork in marriage. And I got there, I was like, wow. So what are the factors that this auto actually brought out for us? I'm still going to go to my slide, don't worry. I'm just going to give you a tip of it. For a team to be effective, if you think about Genesis, right? I'm not so good at teaching the slides, guys. Please just bear with me. I'm learning, and I have to lay. You know, I've almost been penalized for that on my The Husband After God's Own Heart. I will tell you the name of the author. So 
Um, so I'll still go back to my slide. Sometimes I run faster than my slide, or I run slower than my slide. I'm trying to be at a pace. I'm just giving you this one as introduction. So the author started and he said, God actually in Genesis, he made the best team. That for a team to be effective, the team must have who? The right owner. The right owner. So there are some owners that, let's say in football, they're actually focused on making money. They want... <laughs> Crunky ass. <laughs> okay, all right. Because I wanted to is Abramovich and Chelsea really focused on making money. He's rich already. So some owners actually affect the success of the team. But in Genesis, there was a perfect owner, right? The owner of everything was who? God. That team was a perfect team. We're going to see what went wrong in that team. In that team of Adam and Eve. We're going to see what went wrong. Now, the second thing is that, according to the author of the book, you must have... Uh, what they call the right coach. First, the right owner, right? Then the right coach, right? So in that case, I, before I read it, I just look at it. Is Adam the coach? So Adam was actually not the coach, right? The coach was the word of God, which was the instruction that was given to Adam, right? So they had the right instructions. Don't eat out of the fruit, right? You can eat from every other fruit, but of the, of the fruit of the tree of good, of uh, the the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it, right? Just eat from every other thing. So he had the words, the right instruction. If he did not violate that instruction, everything will be perfect, right? Now, the next thing, according to the author, you must have the best abilities, right? A team that is made up of the best abilities. So if you check Adam, Adam was made in whose image? In God's image. So we are evaluating that team and see. We want to see what went wrong. Adam was made in the image of God, right? He has, he has strength. He has muscles. He's perfect. He's sinless. In our cell meetings, we've talked about that, right? The man God made did not sin, was without sin, right? So we thought that in some. So Adam was perfect. The right owner, God, the right instruction, the word of God, the right, um, the best abilities, right? Now, after that, the next words, God gave them a mandate. Simple mandates, not to have to comply. Be fruitful and multiply. And do what? Fill the earth. Simple. Like, it's as instructions as, as, as simple as that. Just be fruitful and multiply. Reproduce yourself. Resources, the vegetation. So after having the right mandate, you need the right resources to fulfill those mandates as a team. Right? So God gave them the vegetations. The whole fish and everything. You can eat. You can... Make the best use of those resources to achieve the mandate I've given you. One mandate full of resources. Now, they had the right leader. So we know who the leader was. Who? Adam, right? It was perfect. God did not make him with sin. We would have sinned because the leader was imperfect. Then the fault came. But it was made perfect, right? So that was why I was asking the question, what if they have the right, the right leadership? What went wrong? So the next one is understanding the roles. They understood their roles. God did not, you know, God did not call her woman. He called her by her role. Did you realize that? What did he call her? A helper. He made Adam, and God said, this guy needs a helper. I will make him a help that is meeting his needs. Right? So they understood their role, right? And everything was perfect, but one thing. There's a difference between understanding your role and playing out your role, right? So they understood their roles, 
But when it came to leaving out their roles, that was where the responsibility, that was where the loophole for that perfect team God made was. So was it God's fault? But it was the fault of the team members who did not leave out their role, right? Adam was expected to communicate to the wife. We are not meant to eat from this root. The wife needed to believe her husband and not hold on to what the serpent is saying, right? She needed to believe and trust this guy who is leading. So I'm the one leading you. If you are going to eat any fruit, if we are even going to disobey God by eating the fruit, let me take the lead and pluck the fruit, right? And let me eat it and give you. But no, you said, wait. There's this new guy that I met that taught me how to pluck the fruit, told me and convinced me about And I did it. Did you see displacement of responsibilities there and roles? Did you see that? Now, that is what faulted that perfect team. And in today's team, in Christendom, everywhere in the world, you still find these things repeating themselves. Right? You still have time. You find these things repeating themselves. And because of those kind of faults, that is why we have this title, Effective Teamwork in Leadership. Effective Teamwork in Leadership. You're going to be a leader. You're going to be leading people, leading different teams. I'm sure some of us, they give us assignments in school. You're already leading your teams, you know, from secondary school. For those that went to, you know, I-class I class secondary school, not the one people like us went to. And they went to serious, where they pay like 700,000. Naira, those that are from Nigeria, for one semester. I mean, <laughs> for one term. Yeah, for one term, right? Okay, term. So you would have been experiencing leadership. And some of us actually, in the questionnaire that was sent to us, the registration form, I asked us, where did you learn leadership from? Almost all of us learned from church and secondary school. Over 50% of us learned from church and secondary school. To tell you that church is a super foundation in this world, God has established church to remain a superpower, and it will continue to remain the best foundation where you can grow. Hallelujah. Amen. So, having said that, we are going into our teaching now. All right. So, introduction. Having a team, right? Having every great idea and organization, either sacred or secular, was made possible by a great team. So, the teamwork is... And in an organization is not luxury, but a necessity. So when they talk about teamwork in an organization, it's not something for fancy. You get the point? It's not something for, oh, so that we want to get you involved, we want to get you busy, we want to get you engaged. Oh, you just come to, no. It's a necessity. It means that it is needed. If it's not needed, no manager is ready to pay access to any employee. They will cut you up. They will the moment they see that, we don't need teams here, and we don't need teamwork here. They will lay off the people. And that's why you find organizations, they have temporal employees that come to perform a particular function as, as a team, and afterwards, they are gone. That's where part-time workers come in. There are people working part-time. They just come and form part of the team. So it is not a luxury. It's not something to, it's a need, right? It's a need. And in Christendom, it's the same thing. Can somebody read First Corinthians 3? Uh, 1 to 11 is very, very long. But in that, in that part of scripture, you can open it. 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 1 to 11. In that part of the scripture, Paul was addressing something, right? He was addressing the fact that 
you have, I will not address you. I will not address you as someone who has a particular type of identity. But I will address you as someone who has lost his identity because you have refused to remain in the spirit of teamwork. That is what that whole that whole verse, the whole verse is there. That is what it means. I will not address you as spiritual, but I will address you as carnal. Why? Because there is division among you. So it means that the moment you leave the spirit of teamwork, what is the opposite of teamwork? Division. Okay, what else can you call it? Let me give us one that you can relate with very well. If I'm not teaming with you, Right? If I'm not teaming with you to build up this computer, if I'm not teaming with you to build up this computer, the direct opposite is that I'm competing with you. Competing with you. So the moment there is no teamwork, the other one is competition, which is what Pastor Kola said, that the guy who wants to take all the glory, as is that guy that wants to take all the glory that he talked about, he has seen others as competitors, not team members. That is where that comes. If you see that you see yourself as someone who wants to take all the glory, you must know that there is a spirit of competition that is already coming into you. Because if you have the mindset that the whole team is working together for one glory that all of us share, then you don't see others as competitors. You see others as co-workers, and Paul will use that same word, co-laborers. That is the scripture, um, that is the word used, co-workers, co-laborers, fellow servants of Jesus. Are we together? So it's not a luxury, it's a necessity. The other scripture also talked about, uh, can you read that? If anybody's there, uh, I think that's 1 Corinthians 12. Thank you. Can you just read there? Did you see what he said? That if the whole, eye, the whole body is just the eye, what will be the smelling? What will be the hearing? It means that in the body of Christ, when we work as a team, you are not here as an extra. You are not here as an extra. You are not additional information. You are here because you have a specific role, a specific part to play. You get it? So you are not here for fancy. You are not here to add to the numbers. You are part of the body. So you must tell yourself, I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm not an extra. Yes. So it's a necessity. That is what we see in that scripture. So God works in team, right? God works in team. This is uh, from a book. I think God, God works as a team or God's work in teamwork. Yeah, we'll see the references at the end. And Romans 12, verse 3 to 8. That's the scripture Pastor Fred concluded with. Let's go to that scripture again. If you want to see that God actually works as a team. Of course, we've already read it from 1 first, uh, first Corinthians 12. But if you go to that Romans 12, verse 3 to 8, it emphasizes, it emphasizes it again and puts it in a very interesting context. All right. So, I'm sorry. Romans 12, 3 to 8. That's what I need. All right. Someone from this side. Do it according to the level of faith that you have. So everybody has a level of faith, right? And everybody has a function, right? So you do your function and your assignment according to the level of faith that is given to you. You function according to the abilities and grace that is upon you. 
That is the emphasis there. Then he began to explain, he that prophesies, let it do it according to the measure of faith. He that does it, let it do that. It means that everybody is doing something. Nobody is hiding. Right? Say, I will not be hiding in the church. I will not be hiding as a leader. I will not be hiding when God is looking for men. Amen. So we are one body. We are in the same you know, in the same family, and we have to work together. So just just the introduction, uh, God works in teams. When God is looking for people, right, and if you look at it again, Jesus worked in team, right? Did he work in team? So when he started his ministry, he himself, he dealt with himself. His individual, at the individual level, right? He had a time out. His 40 days and 40 nights was not with his disciples. It was him starting up his ministry. You see, and that is why, thank God, we had the individual parts first. And this is the same part. So he started his ministry. And at that point, he began to call them. He called the 12. You know, he called them, uh, Peter, John, and all others. He called them, and he made up a team of disciples, what we call the disciples, right? Because he knows that teamwork is necessary, right? He, he's just going to be here for three and a half years, right? And these guys need to carry on as far as eternity. Yes, they needed to carry on as far as eternity. And he formed that team because he knows the importance of each and every one of them. And each and every one of them, including the one that is called Judas, has a responsibility. Yes, that one was financed. That treasury from the zealots, the Judas of the zealot people, was functioning as a treasury, you know? And all of them had. And you can see how different their personalities are. How Peter is so proactive and saying, don't wash my leg. I think we'll talk about that today. And afterwards, wash my whole body. You know, that, that brother is just an interesting guy. And you see John. That's body, <laughs> that exactly. And you see John. Always doing lovey-dovey with Jesus. You know? Always, they call him the disciples that put his head on the breast of, the, of, of Christ, right? So, and you see others, you know, you see the one that is skeptical, the Thomas that is always skeptical, a form, a, a, an interesting team of people. Did you think that Jesus did not know all of them? He knew them, but he still understood the importance of teamwork. We will get to that point where we will understand how team functions and how that applied to the life of the disciples. So the garden of the Lord must be tended, and we must expand it as much as we can. And if we are here, if this must happen, then we have to work together as a team. All right, so the first thing is the definition of a team. So sometimes I don't work with slides, I'm just trying. So is the act of, is the acting together of a group of individuals as a single agent. That is the key thing that you must know. I think this is the wrong, <laughs> this is the wrong photo, but it's fine. I'll bring the photo for this slide. The photo for this slide is somewhere. I already said I don't have no good slides. This is the wrong photo, but I'll show you the right photo. So the first thing you must pick here is that single agents. Do you know that, have you watched movies where you see double agents playing? What do you call them? Okay, they are offense. According to the law, if you're a double agent, you are serving one country and sabotage treason. They can... Like, so, as a Christian, you must not be committing treason. The moment you say we are going for Jesus, and your own 
is partnering with the enemy, you have started committing treason. Check yourself. That's the treasonable offense. If we say we want to go and preach to somebody, or they are preaching to somebody, and you, you are the one, and you are in the evangelism team, antagonizing, thank you, then you are committing treason. So we are what? Single agents. Though we are many, we are single agents. Though we are many, we are single agents. Right? So we are a group of individuals acting as a single agent. We are not double agents. So the single agent means that we have beliefs, which is single. Of course, you see plurals there, but we have beliefs. It means, I mean, beliefs as plural there does not mean we having varying beliefs. But believing in the same thing, but like I believe that, yes. For example, I believe Christ died, he rose again from the dead. I believe in the scripture, I believe in. So those are beliefs. In the working of the spirit, those are beliefs, right? So we have goals and the intentions of its own over, uh, with single agent, with beliefs, goals and intention of its own over and above the individual ones. So it simply means that we subordinate our own goals for this higher goal, right? For that single agent's goal, we subordinate our own personal individual goals, and we push for that goal, which is Christ's. Are we together? So that is teamwork uh, in, in terms of Christian context. Acting together. So those are one of the characteristics of a team. Acting together. Amos 3.3. 3. Can, somebody can quote it if you know it. All right. So apparently, these guys you are seeing here agreed for a specific goal. That is what you see there, right? So maybe it wasn't the wrong picture exactly. So you see them rounding, but although they are standing almost independently, they are connected in a circle, right? So there's unity, and there's a target, and the target is what? One. Did you see any other target there? So in Christianity, that is how you work. When you work as a team, you work to face one target, to address that target, and to make sure you hit the bullseye. So that is what they are doing together. We are acting together. All right. So we are a group of individuals, more than one person, Romans 12, 5. So this is saying that there is diversity in the church. You must know that in your teams in church, you will have diversity in your teams. You will have people that are Africans, people that are white, people that are Caucasian, people that from different tribes. But because we are acting as a single agent under Christ, so we are what? We are united. So you must recognize, yes, it's a group of individuals. And that is why there's a time we, talk, we talked about, uh, okay, there's a teaching on conflict resolution. The first thing there is that you cannot avoid conflict because we are an interpersonal community. Sense is an interpersonal community. So it comes here as well. We are a group of individuals that come from different backgrounds, that come from different understanding, but united in the understanding of Christ. So in your teams, what should be coming to your mind is that we are united in the understanding of Christ. We are united to achieve a particular purpose. We are united for the goal of making the gospel known, irrespective of black. That is why you can live here, right? You can live here as a leader and you go to Brazil, and you meet somebody that holds the same Bible with you, and the person is worshiping, and you can enter their church and listen to the gospel, and you will be blessed. You get the point? Because the Christian team or the team 
any team in Christianity is a team that is made of different individuals from different countries, but united under that single agent, that Christ, which is the Lord of the church. Praise God. All right, so as a single agent, so we see the single agent. The guys who, do this, who did this picture did not try because the white-colored people are missing there. But I'll still use it because most of us are African here. Do we get a point? The church is more diverse than this. But yes, we'll use this just to represent the diversity. So one agent, but different people inside that agent playing different parts. Some people are on the left side, you see? Some people are on the earth side. So they are just, you know, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. So you just see Christ, the body of Christ, and all of us are just there. And that is a single agent. But they work as what? One body. If the leg is injured, how will the body move? Limping. Let's say somebody from the other hand slaps the person on the other hand. It will become like this. And by that, a team cannot function effectively. That is why avoid it. Don't join them. If you see them criticizing churches and pastors, don't join them. Avoid it. That is what you're doing. Look at this picture. Maybe you are the one at the mouth side. That's why you can criticize the church. And you are criticizing the church from that point of view. Do you think that the person at the heart side will be encouraged to continue working? <laughs> Don't worry. We'll put the neck in the next picture. <laughs> Do we get a point? So when you are working as a team, you must have this mindset, like whether it's a team in the church, right, or it's a team in, 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 the, in the ministry God has given you as an individual, whether it's a team in, you know, wherever you find yourself serving as a leader, you must have this mindset that we are a team, one body, and criticizing and penalizing and stressing the other part of the body does not make the body function well. Praise God. All right, the next thing. So beliefs, goals, and intentions. So just a repetition of the other picture where they had the bull's eye, right, uh, the, the targets. is the same as this. The beliefs, goals, and intentions, you see them, this is, where, this is their target, right? Oh, sorry, they said this thing has a pointer. All right, so this is the target. And you see this group of people here moving. Let's say this is a particular denomination. This is another denomination. This is another denomination. And they are focusing on something, a goal that is here. And that is teamwork. If they begin to criticize each other, right, you know what they will do? They will turn back, and the gap, you see the gap here, will start opening. There will be a gap here. These three lines will become three independent lines. Parallel lines. Not being able to, not able to achieve anything at this point. Do you get the point? So when you are criticizing a team or you are in a team or you are criticizing the body of Christ, know that you are creating holes here. You are creating holes and you are separating us from achieving this point. So our goals, our beliefs, our intentions focused on Christ, right? Focused on achieving the work of God. If you are in media team, if you are in evangelism team, if you are in Bible study, we have that goal that is united, that can bring us together. And criticizing and pressuring shouldn't be what should be found among us. Yes, this is one of my favorites. Now, we've been able to get the characteristics of team and teams and how teams should be. Most people are very ignorant of this thing. 
you join a team, you expect the productivity of that team. A team of people that came from different backgrounds from you, different ways of resolving conflicts, different, they are born again, don't get me wrong. They are born again, they have the scriptures, they know the scripture, but their pattern and character and certain things are different from your own. So you guys come together and you form a team. And you expect that that team, the productivity should just go like demand curve or supply curve. Which goes supply curve, right? Which goes, which goes like something from here and goes like this. It's not possible. People drop out of teams because they don't have an understanding of this. Even when they have the same goals and they have, this is team effectiveness and time. This is the chart of team effectiveness and time because I know they are recording and they need to know what I'm talking about. It's about stages of formation of a team. You need to understand that the team development stages and effectiveness, there's a connection, there's a correlation between team effectiveness, uh, team development, yes, that team, team development stages or growth and effective teamwork. There's a correlation because most people don't understand it. They get to a starting stage, although they have the same goals and beliefs and intention, they jump out of the team because they don't understand these team development stages. Now, when a team is being formed, right, as long as the person believes in the scriptures, the person works with the Holy Spirit, and the person understands that Christ, to become like Christ, is the goal, you can work with that person. Am I lying? You can work with that person. It could be, there could be character deficiency, yes. There could be weaknesses in other, in other areas, yes. The person might still be honing his skills, yes. But you can work with that person because the goal and the intention and the direction is same. But because people don't understand this thing, they just jump. So what happens when a team is formed? You can use this to evaluate any of your teams. When a team is formed, it looks as if the effectiveness goes up. Everybody comes with a ginger. We want to achieve something. We want to you know, achieve the goal. Everybody starts saying their desires and you know, yes, this team. The, the leader who is very skillful painted a nice vision for them. And just by providing that, Sonia, why are you looking at me? Just by providing that, the person became very, very motivational to these people. And the danger just came. They will call for meeting, bam, they are there. They, let's pray from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., they are there. And all of us, that's the point of formation because there's a clear vision that is a mission, and that is good, right? But it doesn't stop there. You must not be caught off guard. You must be sensitive. Why? Because there is what they call the storming stage. Right? The storming stage is a stage where all of you begin to disagree on how that thing should be achieved. That mission is good, but I have a different path. That vision is nice, but rather than it be on the mountain, let's be humble, let it be on the valley. You know, you begin to differ on how you want to achieve things. Your character differences come in, your area of resolving conflicts, you know, start manifesting. Some people resolve conflict by keeping quiet. And something will happen, maybe at just this stage, and they will keep quiet. Another person knows how to talk and say, you offended me, blah, blah, blah. And it's on, it's, they are done. The moment they say they are done. But you, you are keeping it. Probably that one now went to tell the manager that this person offended me. And the girl was like, 
But I told you to tell me if you offend me. You know, the team begins to become more ineffective, right? It goes down. This happens in teams. So you must understand that, that we don't just become one all of a sudden in terms of how we interact and achieve things. So the storming stage is the storm. You get a storm, different things, resources, everybody is trying to figure out who is who is who is who, how things are, you know, competition sometimes, you have to be sincere, can cause the storming. And it is key to quickly recognize those factors that are coming, causing storms, right, and address them. So at this point is where the leader begins to address it. So definitely we already said every team work must have a leader. So at this point, the leader begins to address those factors. Okay, this person talks too much. During the, during the meeting, you're only given five minutes to talk each person so that everybody can talk. Oh, you, you know how to criticize. We have a project that we have created. We want you to criticize. Don't criticize somebody. You, 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 you get a point. You get a point. So the leader is able to begin to harness what those people are good at based on the storming part. Because the storming part is the storming part where everybody is using their energy to cause conflict. You get, they had an energy that brought them to this point. They are using that energy to cause conflict. So when the leader begins to address it, then there's a turn. But the most of the time, at this point, you see people, I'm not going to engage. The media team, I'm not going. They call for Yaza, I'm not going. That is why I said, because they don't understand this, they quit at this point. They just quit. Because there's always that storm for every team. Every team has that storm. You know, everything. Is the leader, sir? Yes, we have that storm because we don't interact. You see somebody, they told him to bring the, what did they call that thing? The focus right. He did not bring the focus right. You know, you, you start blaming each other. And because even at that point, responsibility sometimes is not well defined. So that is the storm stage. So as a team, if you know you are working in a team that focuses on Christ, working with Christ, they believe in God, you believe in the goal and intention of that team, right? Let's say many goals now because we have the big goal of becoming like Christ. Let's say you're in a media team or you're in a team of prayer people, right? When the storm times come, please don't quit. Encourage people. Let them know that these things happen. Sometimes it happens because this thing does not stop. It's not that when it gets to our journey, it stops. If a new member joins the team, that person can be another storm. You must be careful to pick up this team, this strategic point. A new member will join, and the person begins to influence all that. You'll come back to storming stage and begin to address it. As a leader, you must be sensitive to these things. You must not be ignorant of it. You must not ignore them. If you ignore them, your team will crash. You must not ignore them. So that is the storming stage, right? So over time, the leader gives responsibility, he addresses those issues, and gradually they become they began, things began to normalize. That's the norming stage. So basically, we begin to understand our norms, our differences, how things should be done, how things should be done. Who is responsible for words? When, when there's something that is wrong, it's not everybody who just say, hey, it's wrong. Who is responsible for criticism? Who is responsible for addressing it? So we begin to know. So if you ask somebody, even the guy that is criticizing, if they have given him a responsibility, they have given you a responsibility of sending messages. But naturally, he criticizes people. If you ask him what is wrong, he will tell you to go and meet the disciplinary guy. He will not say it in the meeting because there's somebody responsible for that. He can grumble and say, oh, they're not doing that. But he cannot, he will not bring that thing into the team because there's already somebody responsible to address that. There's already a method, that's another thing, to address that. So he's calm. He knows that when we come to meeting, 
we can address it. There's a method. So they begin to normalize. We normalize. We know what the regularities, how things should be done. So when we normalize, this is when I think this they call it oneness in team. You guys become much one. You guys are united from the beginning with the goals and intentions. But here you become one because you now know how things should be done, and you don't have to step on any other person's toes, right? So it is in that spirit that they begin to perform very well. Effectiveness goes up, right? Distractions are reduced, and in every team, this is the best time where people are so excited. You see the choir, they just sing one song, the whole place is hot like fire, you know, they are just performing, you know, because they have been able to normalize, they know the normal and the standard and the procedures of doing things, right? And they are, they are getting better, just in that as an example. So they perform very well. And after performance, for teams that are for temporal seasons, when they perform high and they hit that peak, what happens to those teams is that they lose, they lose morale. And they need the leader at this point to create another vision. Because if you don't create another vision at this time, to drop and it will adjourn itself. Do we get it? So this chart is very key. Don't be caught off guard. Before you leave a team, evaluate. Did I believe in the goals, intentions, and everything about that team? Is it in the storming stage? Should I quit because it's in the storming stage? No. There's somewhere you're going. So will things normalize over time? Yes, the leader will take charge. Things will normalize. Are we going to perform effectively? Yes. Right? And you become effective because the leader is taking. So this is one of my favorite part of this teaching. All right. So in Christian work, uh, the peculiarities of Christian teams. So we need to talk about this. Generally, we've included Christian teams. We've included some management concepts and stuff like that. So, but now we just want to check the peculiarities of Christian teams. So in Christian teamwork, we see one another as a family, team members, valued not just for their work or contribution, skill certificates, shares, and stake, but first, because they are members of the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Did you get that? Outside, in a team, if you enter a team in an office, my office, for example, my office, for example, I know how to discern. The moment I got to my office, first week, I discern who is the most powerful, who is the most skilled, who, who knows everything. I discern. Me, I'm very, very fast at that. So I know who to meets. I know who not to attack. I know who to attack. You, like that, I know my moves. So the moment I got to my work, I discovered that my, my office mate was the most informed person in that faculty. I engaged her and she said, I've been here. I've seen three deans come and go. Ah, three deans come. And I'm like, this person, she must be a proud person. And something happened in my office and my dean addressed it. My dean addressed it in a certain way. By his way of addressing it, I knew who was the powerful, that he was not a powerful person. If this is recorded, well, it's recorded. <laughs> okay, I didn't mention it, thank you. I knew he wasn't the most powerful person in that faculty. I knew which place the power lies. Because in the world, when it's teamwork, that is the most powerful, that is one that is valued because of the skill, that is one that is valued because of the certificate, that is one that is valued because of the stake, what it can contribute. But in this kingdom, we are all valued because we are members of the bodies of Christ. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. We are equally valued 
because we are members of the body of Christ. So when you are working in your teams, when you are working with somebody, this is the perspective you should work with. You should work with. Yes, there can be people we can differ by skill and certificate and all those things, but we are equally valued. Do we get that? If you work with that in a team, your team will be very effective. Because the person that has the least skills might become the most productive person. I was dealing with a matter. I was giving, I was dealing with a matter in healthcare, and they were giving a scenario that the most skillful guy in their healthcare organization uh, became very skillful and powerful than the manager. And they, took, they gave him an instruction. They said, train this young guy and let him know how to use what they call the electronic re health records, for example, electronic health records. And he trained the guy, and the moment he trained him, the job for the electronic health records came, a responsibility. The manager did not give him. They gave the new guy. And when they gave the new guy, this guy became angry and started disrupting the whole organization. Why would they give him the job? On a normal day, before the guy came, the job would have been him, blah, 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 blah. And this most skillful guy caused a slowdown, caused some patients' records to be missing, disrupted the whole organization. But the manager, being smart enough, already trained, the, already, the guy that was already trained, already gave him an additional training. And that guy was the one that rectified everything. So your most skillful guy, you need to be careful. If you are valuing people based on skills and certificates, it's good, but they become so powerful that sometimes they might threaten the progress of that team. So in Christendom, because we want to avoid such problems, we must value each other because we are members of the body of Christ. You can give responsibility for someone who is skillful, who is good, who knows how to humble their skills. That is good. But you must know that we are valued because we are members of the body of Christ. We are equally valued. All right, so you just see it. Um, in, in, the, in the team of, in, in Christendom, in the team, there is still order as well, right? There's order. We have God being the number one, Christ. We have the global church, right? We have the global church. We have NECF. We have fa married families, individual ministries. We have this order, and we see that we all work as a team. Right? If you read Ephesians 4.22, it tells you that God has given Christ to be the head of the church. Right? Christ to be the head of the church. And 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 will tell you that Christ is the head of the husband. Right? And the husband is the head of the wife. You see, that order is there. Because teamwork is important. So all this team, all these people, these personalities are working together effectively for that same goal. Which is for all of us, the creations of God to become like Christ, right? To become like Christ, to be changed into his image. So uh, we are valued equally. So the point is that the married, right? The married individual, sorry, mistake. So the married individual are like Christ. The individuals, uh, the sorry, the married families are like Christ. The individuals, Christ is the center of their life. The NECF church, the leadership, the pastor, the team leaders, they are Christ-like. The global church, everything points to Christ. So we work together as a team. This is the team that will transform this world. This team will transform. So if you are not from NSF, you can put your ministry here. If you run an individual ministry, you can put your ministry here. This is how God 
will transform and is transforming those people. This is God's team. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, so this is it. So compare this picture to the one that had uh, people inside. What is the difference? Let me take it back. All right. Pastor Fred said this is racist. Compare this picture. I want you to compare this picture to this picture. What is the difference? You said what? Hey, Christ. Everything is Christ. What's the difference? Hmm? You said what? The head. That one too did not have neck. This one too did not have neck. You said this is what? Okay. In that one too, the individuals were the ones in the part of the body. Yes? This one's organized. That one too is somehow organized, but it's not publicly organized. What's the difference? They are all the same. They have been transformed to become like Christ. This is Christ. Like everybody inside this thing is Christ. Do we get the point? That one, they are still in their colors, you know, varieties. This is the goal. Like, we will all become like Christ. In Christ, you will become like that. You become fully Christ in Christ. Like, you will become fully Christ in Christ. So that is, that is it. Like, one heard one body, and we become like this. So everybody here, that was what I was showing you. I was explaining to you. These people become like Christ. NCF Christ, Global Church Christ. Everything is Christ. Hallelujah. All right. So that is one uh, peculiarity. We've talked about being valid, right? We are valid because we are, in, we are the body of Christ. Another peculiarity is that it has a head. That is Christ. Christ is the head, and we are going to be transformed. Some teams, you know, their own peculiarities, I mean, rather than being like Christ, some teams is... <laughs> I, I would like to use football again. They want to be, they want to have the person who will get the golden boots. Some people want to win the league. They want to you know, become the one that carry Champions League more than any other team, you know, so that they can put their team there, had the highest number of Champions League and stuff like Premier League carriers that are winning it back to back. You know, are, but that is not ours, right? Ours is Christ. It's just simple, Christ. You know, we are not looking for any league. We are not trying to carry any cup. Is that our education? No, no, no. Ah, relegation. <laughs> I don't think any team wants relegation. <laughs> All right, so another peculiarity is self-sacrifice in the team. Think about this guy. What do you think? I want, to, I want us to talk. If this guy refuses to help this lady in this context, can you assume and give me an hypothesis about what will happen to this guy? What do you think will happen to him? Eh? Now, this guy can actually decide not to help her and continue running. Will he go fast? Yes. yes. Will he go fast? Yes. <laughs> Will he get to where he wants to get to? Most probably no. You know why? Because this is a mountain. And there will be a time that this brother here will need somebody to drag him like this. And if you don't help this person, you will be alone. And at that point in time, he has to wait until she comes and catch up. So in teamwork, one of the things that we must know is that there's what called self-sacrifice in team, right? So if you are the, for me, you know, when we're, when we're doing marriage counseling, I have to tell you this, when we're doing marriage counseling, the, the counselor asked me, and he was like, we should write some things. Who likes to do things independently more between me and my wife? Or who likes to do things proactively? Who is the most proactive person? Like, 
The answer is just obvious. I'm the most proactive person. I'm super proactive. The, the, my, my father-in-law called me and said, what do you think that will make you get angry with your wife if you're going to get angry? Or what do you think she will do to offend you? I said, if we decide I want to go somewhere, and I said, I've set my mind and my goal on going on there. If she says no, I'll be angry. <laughs> so he was, he was laughing. I said, the only thing is because me, I'm too proactive. So I, I learned to calm down a lot. I'm super proactive. So if I'm proactive and I go and go, I will hit wall. And I'll need somebody. So based on that knowledge, I'm coming down. Do we get a point? <laughs> this is teamwork. Marriage is teamwork as well. You have to, no matter how you think you can go fast, you can go fast as a one person, as one, but you cannot go far. People have said it, it becomes like you can't go far because you'll be tired, you'll be exhausted, you will need encouragement. It's the same in the teams. So you have to sacrifice your speed and die your gra 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 and calm down so that you guys can move together as a team. So in every team you find yourself, there's always what we call self-sacrifice. So you have to sacrifice, you know, uh, you running very fast to focus on helping the other person get better and you can move together as a team. You go farther like that. Praise God. All right, so personal sacrifice over individualism or competition. We already talked about competition. So competition is one of the things we must avoid in every team. Um, yes. All right. This is a very interesting one. Can you tell me um, the most important color in this, in this picture. Can you tell me the most important one here? Blue, okay, blue. Which other one? Or you have to define the blue because there are light blue, there are sky blue. So is it this blue or this blue? The one that shines, the darker one. All right. What about? The moment you remove the blue, you have destroyed the artist's work. The moment you remove this blue, you have destroyed this. Although you see the yellow coming out as if he's the leader of them. Because you find it, the reality is that they are all equally important. And that is teamwork for you. If you remove any of these pictures, the artist will sue you. <laughs> any of the colors, rather. The artist will tell you, this is not my work. If he says this, will he say that is his work again? No. no. So something has, so although we have Leaders in teams, they are all equal. They function, they, they, they act equally. They function equally. They are equal. There's not like hierarchy in anything in Christendom because we are equal in Christ. So this guy is just the one giving the direction of how things will go, but they are all equally important. So you can see this one as blue. You can say, oh, this one, because you are close to the leader, it's not important. All of them are equally important. So that brings us to the work. To, the, to the, uh, the point I'm driving at. In Christian team, followers are important as leaders. God uses effort of each member. So God does not use the effort on the, of the leaders alone. If you're going to be your team leaders, he does not use your effort alone. He uses the collective effort, right? And it's important, and they are unique in, you use them in important ways, all unique and special. A collective vision is shared, born of the team members. Collective wisdom, submission, and accountability, it is we over me. Right, so I just added this. It's, this is what, you know, sometimes the world, they have, it used to look as if they are wiser than us, but they can never be wiser than us. We will keep extracting principles from the word of God, right? You see this collective working together in unity, 
and setting goals and vision collectively is what is called in management as management by objectives. It means that we want to manage this organization and we will put the objectives at the center. So everybody will contribute to the development of that objective, right? So in everything, for them to be effective, you must be able to have collective wisdom. You cannot be the only one who is wise in your team. You have submission, you have accountability. So you work together. Shared vision is key in everything because we are all important, we are all significant. We make the beauty of the picture of what we want to see. Praise God. All right, so yes. In Christian teamwork, God is the driver's seat. I already explained this in the picture I had, right? In the, in the list, we saw that God was the first, is the first, and we see Christ following, right? So God is at the driver's seat. So as a team leader, your focus and everything should be on the, on the fact that God is at the driver's seat. So if there's anything that begins to make you feel very important than every other person, just remind yourself that God is at the driver's seat. Ah, man, there's still a lot. Still a lot. All right. So advantages of working uh, together as a team in the house of faith, one of the things that you must know that you become more effective. You become much more effective and powerful when we work together. There was a time in this church that the pastors were the ones leading the teams. When I mean leading the teams, I'm not talking about what we are doing now, which is supervising. <laughs> now we are doing super. Then you'll be the one to set the agenda for each team. And under each of us, probably had like three or two teams at least. Two to three teams. And you know, that was a lot of burden for us. So we needed to make team more functional and effective by working as a team with the team leaders, as a team with the cell unit leaders. That's why we have the pastors, the cell unit leaders, and uh, the team leaders working together as a team. Because that has become, uh, that has made our teams to be much more effective. So if you're a team leader, you are contributing to the effectiveness of the church because we are working with you. You are working with the pastorate as a team. So you should keep up with that, right? Don't disconnect from the pastor in charge. Don't disconnect if you're you in another ministry. Don't disconnect from the person you are reporting to. You are supporting them and making them effective. So when we work together as a team, we are more effective. We are built up in a team when we discover and harness the potential in people in a team. So the teams are always filled with potentials. That is what you must know. Teams are, even the person that does not talk in your team, if you bring the person out on a one-on-one, -on -one, maybe you take the person to Lingo Cafe or you take the person to Californian, you might hear the wisdom in that person's mouth. Do you realize that? Maybe the person does not talk when people are, you know, collectively there and the person does not know. But when you take the person out, you hear the truth of the person's wisdom. So that is effective uh, when we harness the potential. Each member has a sense of belonging and significance because we are valid, because we are members of the body of Christ. Teamwork help, helps visions to outlast the people. So have you seen in my, in my language, they used to say something, that if you don't want the shrine of, <laughs> if you don't want the shrine of your ancestors to become a peeing zone where people pee, make sure that you transfer it to the child. Make sure that you share the vision with the child so that the child will chase anybody that wants to pee on that idol. It's, an, it's a saying for those in the outside world. Much more in this kingdom, we have a greater saying that this vision of becoming like Christ, right? It has outlast people. It means it goes further than somebody. It, go, it went further than Abraham, 
right? Jesus instituted it. He went further than the disciples. Is with us now, right? The team of Jesus. Let's call it the team of Jesus. If we go, when you become 100 and you return to the Father, it will continue. That is the advantage of teamwork. Those 12 disciples, they did a great job. And that's, this is where we are today. And Christ prayed for us when he was praying for them because they knew that the vision will outlast those people. All right. So fruitfulness on a higher level beyond what one person can do. That is very clear. Fruitfulness. Innovate fast. So innovation is faster, right? Because when we work as a team, you get different ideas. And by the time everybody speaks, you might be the one who will pick the, everything that everyone has spoken and create an hybrid. I always like the word hybrid or synergy of everything that, you know, extract here, extract here, take from there, take from there, because there is a team that is thinking. All right, so better solutions, better solutions are derived in a team when we work together as a team. Ah, uh, do I still have time, sir? Okay, I have five minutes. I'm meant to stay on this very, very well. But, all right. The, 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 what do I call it? The, the material will be sent out, right? Will be sent out to us so we can go through it very well. I'm going to spend like another 20 minutes on this one, but it's not possible. So now, 10 pillars, 10 solid uh, pillars of effective leadership. Uh, effective teamwork. Effective teamwork. We already discussed the first one, so I'm not going to say it. Pastor Fred did a very good one on this. So the servant leadership, which is I am coming to serve, and I'm not coming to rule people. I'm coming to serve. That's the first thing. So if you're a leader and you are working in a team, for that team to be effective, for it to be teamwork and not competition, you must know that you have come to serve. And that is what Christ said, that he has come to serve. The Son of Man has come to serve. Clarity of purpose, I think we talked about that under what he also talked about. Goals and purpose and direction. If you're a leader and you have a team, please reiterate the purpose all the time. Let the purpose of the team be clear. Let it be very, very obvious. What does success mean? This is one of the things that people barely jump into. That's why you see an organization running, 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 and it's like we don't know whether they are succeeding or they are failing because they don't have a definition of success. I'm going to make an example of what is happening in the world today. You might not know the organization, but it's called NATO. It's called North Atlantic Treaty Organization. They don't know what success is, and they don't know what failure is. On my, from my perspective, why? Because NATO was created to stop Russia from invading other parts of the world. Russia, which was Soviet Union, right, to stop from invading Europe, right, from taking space in Africa and every other part of the world. Now, the Soviet Union's collapsed in 1990. The Berlin Wall crashed and the Cold War ended. You know what Cold War means? War between U.S. and U.S.S.R. and Soviet. It ended. Now, that was success for NATO, true or false? Now, in this context, from 1991 to today, what NATO is doing is that he's now picking all those parts that USSR had left, you know, what they call the ex-Soviet countries, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan. NATO is now enticing them, including Ukraine. That is why Russia wants to invade Ukraine. Because Ukraine shares border with Russia. It's just close to him. So if NATO drags Russia, in, drags Ukraine into its membership, then that means it can attack Russia from Ukraine. It can survey everything that is happening in Russia from Ukraine. For me, that is not a success again. You are creating what they call security dilemma. I think we'll stop there in terms of that international relations. Let's go back to what we're talking about. So clarity of purpose, right? Clarity of purpose is basically that you, you, know, you, know, you know when you achieve your success and you stop. 
if you want to define another one, you can define, but you stop at that success. And, you know, it's very, very key. All right, let's move to the other one. Service to one another as unto the Lord. This is key. It's different from, it's, it's connected to leadership, uh, servant leadership. It means that if I'm serving you, I should do it as if I'm doing to Jesus, right? So the way I would serve Jesus, that is the way I should serve. If you serve in your team, like the way Jesus was serving that team, that team will be effective. Praise God. Open communication. I think it was you that talked something about truthful communication. That was very super because open communication is key. Some people uh, have assumptions of how a team should be run. And you might not send them as the leader, and they will follow their assumption, and they will do what they want to do. So clarity of purpose and open communication helps to balance and avoid those things. These are things that you should put into context when the team is going through storming stage. Um, Okay, I have a number of minutes. Diversity, peculiarity without intimidation or jealousy. So competition, that is just that. Remove competition in your teams. Emphasize it that there is no competition. Nobody is better. Nobody is, you know, gooder than the other. You get the point. So make sure that there's no competition. That will help a lot. Influence. Influence the team members must. The team members must have an atmosphere where they can influence one another respectfully, right? It's not like forcing somebody. Influence comes through. Um, Edifying people, encouraging people, you know, not forcing them in a particular direction. Being able to speak life into them you can influence people like that. Encouraging and supporting a uh, sense of belonging, a code of conduct. Yes, a code of conduct. This code of conduct is connected to sense of belonging. I already talked about it at some point in time. A code of conduct is connected to the norming stage of a team. The norming stage, when there's a code of conduct in a team, then it is very, very effective. The norming stage creates the code of conduct, how things should be run. Forgiveness, I mean, this cannot be overemphasized. It is lack of forgiveness that will make you get offended and jump out of a team. You believe in the goals and intentions of that team. If you believe in the goals and intentions, then you would forgive because in everything, someone would definitely, especially the storming stage, you know, the storming stage, you need a lot of forgiveness and just make sure that you're focusing on the goal. So forgiveness is key. If you don't forgive, then that team cannot last. You know, some people they don't forgive their coach. They just fire the coach. Fire the I mean, I mean football teams. They just fire coach, fire coach. Sometimes it's not the coach that's the problem. So it's the team you get, including the owners. So that's that's not effective. So forgiveness is is key. <laughs> I'm sorry I came for you guys, but it's fine. <laughs> forgiveness is key. It's very, very key. In this kingdom, you can't you you, are, you don't have a choice. You have to forgive. All right. Uh, this one, let me see. Okay, I'm, I'm already concluding. Uh, I'm point. I tried. So this is just a $1 million uh, investigation. This is just a giveaway, right, of all I've been saying. This is just a very nice giveaway. So Google did a research. And because Google has the money, they did the research. And they checked millions of Microsoft teams that work within their teams. And they were like, what is it that makes the most effective teams effective? Why are they winning all the time? And the assumptions were, the hypothesis were like, oh, they like each other very well. Oh, they are friends outside work. You know, they have mixed personalities in the sense that, mixed personality in the sense that they have people that talk very much. They have people that don't talk. So when they come together in a meeting, those ones will keep quiet. Those ones will do the job. Like, everybody knows their responsibility. <laughs> you get the point? Do you get the point? That's what they call a mixed personality, where is not someone that talks, another person that talks, and they will boss each other and they will scatter the meeting. Where some people will be quiet and they won't talk. So they wonder, ah, this guy talks very well, admire him. They don't want to look, ah, this guy keeps quiet, you know? They just like, that. that's a very good personality mix. So 
They were like, is it the personality mix or the skills or the background? These are the assumptions. These things are very good. You should inculcate them. Like, you guys should, outside your team, you should relate. That is one of the great, great um, level of influence you can have. If you don't relate outside team, that is only when it comes to work, you know me. Ah, now wow, that's not nice. You must know me, you know, on a, ah, I eat too, I watch movies, I play games. Those things help, right? But however, in their, in their research, what was discovered was very interesting. I just said I'd share with you guys and that would really be helpful. So the insight is that they let everybody talk at the same number of minutes. They studied them and they realized that people that talk, people, this person does not talk more than this person. They literally talk almost, if they are talking one hour in that meeting, all of them have the same number of hours to talk. So that helped open communication. Did you get that? So even the person that doesn't want to talk, talked and is able to convey the information. So identifying people who do not talk and asking them questions to make them talk, otherwise you will have them out of the picture. So you engage people, right? You engage people. If you see somebody not talking to your team, please don't be quiet. Don't ignore the person. Approach the person, right? I've, I've, I've led a team before that I sat down, I wrote the names of everybody in that team. I said, this one does not talk in meeting. This one talks. This one talks too much. This one comes early. This one comes late. And I tried to diagnose the problem. And somehow, somehow, we came back on board. And I knew that the guy that was keeping quiet was not keeping quiet because he's angry. He was just keeping quiet because everybody were making sense. <laughs> did, he, did he get that? So it makes me realize that, OK, if he's keeping quiet, everybody's making sense. So probably if we had said something wrong, he would just know. All right, do you get the point? So social sensitivity, there's a, there's a Google link after this. Please go and take this test. There's what they call social sensitivity. Social sensitivity is what will help you much more, right? This is defined as everybody talk, but these are just additionals. Social sensitivity is when you look at somebody's eyes, if it's up or down, how to dictate what a person means, right? So you can, it's like 38 pictures. On an average, I didn't take the five. On an average, I got about 26 over 35. I didn't feel because... <laughs> Because it says that if you're able to get more than the average, the average is between 22 and 30. So if you get between 22 and 30 on the test, it means that you can actually, you are socially sensitive, right? You don't just ignore people's emotions and, you know, uh, you, don't, you don't just ignore people's emotions. You are putting that in the context of your, because it affects your fun the functionality of your team. Praise God. Uh, yeah. All right, so none of us is strong in every area. That is why we are called to work together. We need to get together and talk together, pray together and work together. We are the body of Christ. God's work is teamwork. Hey, these are the references, and thank you so much. God bless.